The return of the great Nick Thune. What's happening, weirdos? <laughs> I mixed it up. I didn't open with what's happening. I said the return of the great Nick Thune. This is one of my favorite episodes that we've done in a while. I, I just loved uh, it's a real fly on the wall chat, meaning this is the conversation I think he and I would have just had even without microphones because we hadn't talked in a long time. And uh, Nick had been going through quite a lot of things, which he's very beautifully honest about in this episode. So I was um, very happy to reconnect with him, and I'm very happy to share it with you guys. I hope you get uh, as much out of it as I did. Um, a couple things to promote. I am on tour doing stand-up, if you guys didn't know. I hope you did. So many weirdos have been coming out, and the shows have been amazing with Lara Bites, which has been incredible, just an incredible show. Uh, and the dates are all at PeteHolmes.com. I'm coming to Brea, Oxnard, Nashville, St. Louis, Cleveland, San Jose, Houston, and we just added Phoenix. Come out to those next couple months, PeteHolmes.com. Or if you're in L.A., my next Largo show is January 11th, 111, and uh, February 7th, Largo-LA.com for tickets. Uh, that's it. Yeah. On to the Pete's Picks. Good time for Pete's Picks. If you're looking for any last-minute Christmas or Hanukkah or holiday or New Year's gifts, whatever you're, whatever you're into, how about a Pete's Picks? Pete's Picks are the things that bring us this show. And they are products that I actually use and actually love every single day. One of them, currently wearing, man, I'm always wearing a, a simple color when I do the ad. It's gray. I'm wearing my grays, my MeUndies. I'm sure you've heard other uh, MeUndies ads on other podcasts. In fact, that, that's how I found out about them. And I realized I am 40 years old and I've never owned, owned like good underwear. Just good grown man underwear. So this is completely true. Before they were a sponsor, me and Val just did a complete undies overhaul, and I couldn't recommend it more. It's the most comfortable, softest, best-fitting, most fun underwear that I've ever owned. It's silly to admit, maybe, but the patterns literally put me in a good mood. I have certain pairs now, like like a like a Ferris Bueller thing, I feel like. It's like I have certain pairs that I'm like, I'm going to save those for that for that big show or that big meeting or whatever. I love them. Some of them are Star Wars themed, which I enjoy. Some of them have like metallic qualities to them, like gold coins on my pirate undies. Uh, they get lounge pants, which are my new and only favorite underwear bottoms. Underwear bottoms? I mean PJ bottoms. They're made of the same fabric as the underwear, which is micromodal fabric, which is three times softer than cotton. Suck it, cotton. In the cutest wintry prints and colors. It's incredible. They also make uh, onesies. They make baby bodysuits. They make robes. They basically uncovered the best, softest, most pleasing to the skin material ever, and they just made a bunch of stuff out of it. And you can't go wrong. You can also sign up for their, uh, their this is what I did, their subscription, uh, and you just get, I, it's, it's strange how much I look forward to the new patterns that they send me every month. So go. You can show your support of this podcast and get some good, grown-ass, good-fitting, fun, soft-as-hell underwear onesies, lounge pants, robes, bodysuits, all that stuff at MeUndies.com slash weird. 100% satisfaction guarantee and you get 15% off your first pair. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird and you will show your support of this podcast, which I would greatly appreciate. Also, Kachava had some Kachava for lunch today. Kachava, you guys know this, is a plant-based, born-in-the-jungle, nutrient-rich, exotic, superfood drink mix. 
These guys, I've talked to them in person. They are, well, on the phone, but, you know, voices. They are incredible people. They were on a mission to go into the jungle, literally, and go on excavations. Excavations? Excavations. To find the most exotic, nutrient-rich superfoods that have been revered by tribal cultures for centuries, and they brought it to us. We got it. It's a nutrition overload. It's a meal and a pill. It's basically a smoothie that you can make very simply and fast, just with water. Keeps you full for hours. A lot of people use it as a meal replacement. A lot of people use it for weight management. I use it because it gets me high. (laughs) There's so much nutrition in it, it makes me feel fantastic. It's 100% plant-based. People are always curious about how to start eating plant-based. I always steer them towards cachava. It's got omega-3s from chia seeds and flax seeds, incredibly beneficial. Eight superfruits in the bag, 17 greens and veggies in the bag. Hard to find greens and veggies on the road. That's why I travel with it. Gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's got digestive support built into the bag. Adaptogens, 24 grams of protein, plant-based protein, 24 grams. That's a lot. Nine grams of fiber. But here's the thing. It's actually delicious because it has just enough coconut nectar, which is a low glycemic, meaning it doesn't spike your blood sugar. It's a low glycemic sweetener. It has coconut milk, powdered coconut milk in it, which means it mixes with the water, mixes with the chocolate, makes it taste creamy chocolate delicious you can also make it with things like almond milk which is how i like to make it for val throw some frozen uh, strawberries in there tastes like chocolate strawberry ice cream it's unbelievable it's a meal and a pill keeps you full for hours and it makes you feel fantastic give your body some of the stuff it's been craving with almost no effort that should be their slogan give your body what it's craving with almost no effort kachava and it's 20 percent off your order at kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird and show your support for this podcast. I appreciate it. And you'll be able to get your, I don't know, your father-in-law something that he didn't know that he would love. And then he'll think of you every morning when he makes it wearing his MeUndies. Boom! I worked both in. All right, guys. Hope to see you on the road. Brea, Oxnard, Nashville, St. Louis, Cleveland, San Jose, Houston, and Phoenix. Thank you for coming out to everybody who's already come out. And please enjoy this incredible, candid, honest, thank you, Nick Thune, for doing this episode. It was such a pleasure, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Here's my chat. Get into it. Hey, guys. So sorry for the shitty uh, audio quality here. I just forgot. Nick Thune is currently co-headlining a tour with the musician Damien Gerardo. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm a cool guy, Damien Gerardo, uh, in mid-January. It's Cool Rock Club Tour on the East Coast. Tickets at nickthune.com. Go support this guy. Get into it again. And I go... And you go in the sauna. Get in the sauna. Hey, how are you? Good, good to see you. Wow. Yeah, buddy. You know... Moshe has one? It's so small. <laughs> he has the small one. It's not it's not new. You got it like off Craigslist for like two hundred dollars. I'm I, I'm only offended that he didn't like tell me. I worry about this all the time. Like I live I love Moshe so dearly. And I we're recording by this, which okay. I just want you to know in case you feel like farting. <laughs> in case you're, I love a good fart. Me and my baby fart all the time. And I think she knows we're bonding. Yeah. The, she calls it make smells, but we're bonding. I convinced my son yesterday that... Uh, Towns? Towns. 
Are you public with his name? Yeah. <laughs> we, we announced last week, actually. You had a name reveal? Yeah. Towns. I just always remember Towns because it's such a great name. Yeah, he's he's blessed in the name department. Towns McCoy Thune. Um, yeah. Towns McCoy is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. But he... Uh, I see you struggling on the couch, and I want you to feel free to do whatever just you need to, to do. Just to get in. I just No, I just want you to... You can put your boots on the couch. You can... This is just the fucking back. This, this, this is the back like, couch. This almost feels like a barrier between us, but it happens. I, you know, I, I'm not a therapist, obviously, but like I do enjoy. I'm the control in the experiment, so I yeah. get to watch different guests do different things, and some guests, the ones that I t- uh, tend to relate more, maybe, are the ones that seem bothered if there's something between us, like that, like that. That's why yeah. I'm just paying you a compliment that you are in tune and you're like that i don't like have something between us it's weird that you use the word relate when you meant like more that's true the guests that you like more i guess but i i'm not just saying this i do like all the guests that's the fun thing for the show is even mm-hmm. the ones that like i maybe don't get along with you can sort of get along with anybody for a couple hours and in that special space you do like them this is nice. I well, I told my I told Towns yesterday in the car T that uh, T McCoy, yeah T McCoy, that that's how Eskimos keep their hands warm. They fart on them. That's not. But the but thing for is, for a second, I believed it because it is warm air. It is warm. But it's then the same thing we're doing in the subway at New York City. You know what I mean? Like that's just sniffing farts. Who had, Tim Young had that bit. Tim Young had a bit about like we all in the winter love the warm air coming from the subway, but it's just I think he calls it Satan's asshole. Yeah, it is. It's the most disgusting that comes down the thing. Oh, Where are the air snobs? Like, there's no air snobs. There's water snobs. I'm a bit of a water snob, but there are no air snobs. Nobody's. I don't see too many except people that, that seem to be coming in from Japan. They'll wear the masks. That well, they, seems like they an do air have snob. the mask. They do now have the ath- athletes that wear that little. Breathe right? The thing when they run, you know, like Marshawn Lynch started doing it. And it's not breathe right. No, it's like that. It's a, it yeah. Like he looks like Bane? Yeah. Now you have my permission to breathe. But this is, a, this is something I think you'll appreciate, though, as a, Don't tell as a me parent coming into, <laughs> you better appreciate it. I can't wait. As let, me, a, let me move this huge volume by Joseph Campbell. <laughs> as somebody who loves yes. talking and explaining and... um. Telling my son that the the main part you, you'd think the main part of that story would be like why do Eskimos fart on their hands? Mm. But instead, the question was what are Eskimos? Love it, need it, because he calls you, them Inuits. Yeah, which we had to go. <laughs> Is that through. true? Did he know Inuit? Because no, I went to a hyper, hyper 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 liberal school, and we never said you don't say Eskimos. Well, he's six though, so he doesn't. You know, like, it's funny, the things you tell him, the things that actually rub him in the sense of, like, wanting to know more wasn't the point of what you were telling him. I love that. So then I got That's how Kumail is. You'll tell Kumail, you'll be like, my friend Johnny has four arms. And he's like, you know someone named Johnny? Yeah. Who who names people Johnny anymore? Is his legal name Johnny or is that a nickname? (laughs) I'm saying you're, like, Emily, his wife now, knows that I always go... Wrong question. He always asks oh, the, the wrong, after what you start saying. Yeah. You yeah. say something and he's just looking at it. That's probably why he's funny. So Towns, McCoy, probably a funny boy. Yeah, but then I don't know what Eskimos are really. Are they made up? I have no idea. Well, the Inuit people 
It's just like an indigenous group, as the yeah. same we would have in a jungle, but they're in an icy place. So they like, do seem they more mythic there? because they're in yeah. an icy place. Or yesterday, my grandfather died. Is that true? 94. You died. seem like a fellow that's close to your grandfather, and I mean that as a compliment. Not this one. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope you take that as a compliment. Don't worry, he won't hear this. Um, no, he yeah, he passed away, and so I told my son. And to me, the big takeaway is that my grandfather died. <laughs> Not this one. But for him, what he was really stuck on is how do people die in their sleep? Because I said, how did he die in his sleep? Yeah. What? Yeah. I sleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing in his video. I go to sleep all the time. We were just watching... Me and uh, Katie, our nanny and friend, we were watching the Mr. Rogers thing about the Kennedy assassination. It came out the day after the Kennedy assassination. And he has a balloon. Daniel Stripe, a tiger, asked Lady Elaine to empty, fill up a balloon and then empty it. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, where does the air go? And I was like, that's the question of death. In fact, it's come up on this podcast before that death is the air in a vase and the vase breaks and then the air just rejoins the air around it. But that's a very, very yeah, it's almost like trippy. ice. What happens to ice? What happens to anything? So it fills up the water. But is, you know, remember how, how many times have you thought in your head about ice? Like as you grew up, like okay, so it melts, but it's probably the same amount. Yeah, but and then you're like, nah. The in, the the intel is that what you mean? The data, the things that make it up, don't go anywhere. But nothing yeah. goes anywhere. Yeah, that's sort of like the weird thing about everything. My first mushroom trip, I uh, it wasn't my first. I'm sorry, I sort of fudged the details in my book, and I blended a couple mushroom trips into one just for the sake of telling a story. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Someone call the literary police. Pete tried to not bore you by going, then another time I took him later, and I, I had this thought. You know what would be great was is about if ice. somebody made a YouTube video, and they have like a reading of your mushroom trip story in the book, and then every time you've talked about taking mushrooms in the podcast... Like the joke stealing things, you know, where it's like, did he really have one mushroom oh, trip? Oh, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. The amount of uh, data in this podcast, you could pretty much do anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you could overlay, you could spill the beans on many a topic. What's that? Is that Sneakers, that movie where they take the guy out and they get him to say a certain amount of words so that they can use? The, yeah. Yes. You are brilliant. Warner Brandis, you mean? Yeah. People could nail you on that so hard. They could, get you, they could get your voice oh, to say... My, yeah, no vocal recognition anything. here. <laughs> they could get me saying, Hi, my name is Warner Brandis. My voice is my passport. Verify me. Yes. <laughs> and she goes, You know what word I've always found sexy? Passport. Passport? <laughs> yeah. So it goes, Hi, my name is Warner Brandis. My voice is my passport. Verify <laughs> me. I've seen that movie so many times. I love that movie. You have movie. a River Phoenix quality. I love River Phoenix. Yeah, I, I can tell. You're close to your grandfather, except the one that just passed. Every time I get my son's haircut, I, I want to get him a buzz cut every time. And I just say, give him the, the stand by me. Just give him River Phoenix stand yeah. by me. Riv Fiend. Because I, I have a thing about boys having buzz cuts. I think it's... You like it? Pure. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Huh. I When I was a kid, my dad asked me if I wanted to get a wiffle. That's what we call them in Boston. A, a wiffle? wiffle? A wiffle. I think it's because you look like a wiffle ball. Oh. I'm not sure though. I just made that up. But Which one of the wiffle balls? The ones with all the holes in it, or? <laughs> well, hopefully not. They could give you the strands. <laughs> they could make you look like a wiffle ball. That makes curveballs easier. But I remember on the. I vividly remember on the way the uh, barbershop, my dad was like, "Hey, you want to get a wiffle?" 
and I thought I was going to get a wiffle ball in bat, and I was so excited. Yeah. And then it turns out they were just shaving my head. I don't think it's uh, – Roger Hales has that great bit about the, when his mom asked him if he wanted to get a blazer. He's like, the word blazer sounds so much cooler than it is. He's like, you want to go to blazer? And he yeah. goes, you're goddamn right. And then it's just a sport coat. Same thing with wiffle. I know blazer. Yeah, blazer. Blazer, I mean, because it's a car. Is right? there a, char- a blazer? Yeah, there was a Chevrolet blazer, I believe. Wow. And then Can you hang it up in your closet? <laughs> so easy to park. You just and put it on a hanger. What is technically the definition of blaze? Blazing? Yeah, what's a blaze? What's a blaze? Yeah, what's blaze? Here's where English gets confusing. Because a uh, usually means not. Atheist, atypical. Mm-hmm. A blaze, though, doesn't mean not blaze. It means very much blaze. Yeah, blaze. Just a, a flash in a pan? or Well, no, I think a, that's a flash. I think a blaze is... I think fire is blaze. It's like a little So what would you up. say? So you'd say that a, a flash... What's closer to fire, flash or blaze? Blaze. What's closer to blaze, fire or flash? <laughs> that's actually something I haven't thought about in a long time. You, I was watching your new special, Good, Good, Good Fella. Just kidding. Good guy. <laughs> good fellas. Yeah. Good fellas. That's your improv team. Your special is called Good Guy, and you started telling a story about putting the pot brownie in your backpack. Forgive me yeah. for spilling the beans. I keep saying spill the beans <laughs> on a bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm very curious because I, I watched 15 minutes of it or, or, or so because I was waiting for you to get here. And I was enjoying it, and because I enjoy it. And I got to the part where your wife calls you. You put a, a weed brownie in your bag. Yeah. And your wife is calling you six times, and you answer. And then I'm, I, I just need to know. Like, it's distracting me. Yeah, what happened I'm talking to the, to the guy who knew, well, I didn't know it was the dog. Is that what it is? Yeah. The dog ate it? Mikey, the dog that you dropped. Oh, my God. The dog that's birthed now two bits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mikey, the dro- dog I dropped. Two bits counting my bit? Yeah. Yeah. That's two bits. And then your bit. That's yeah. what I mean. There's yeah. two of them. So Michael? Yeah, <laughs> Michael. Michael. Michael, Michael your yeah. dog, ate... He, he ate a pot brownie. Um, and then, I which mean... Which they said eat one-eighth of it. To me. Yeah. A human. But for dogs, dog years is one for seven. Dog brownies <laughs> yeah. is one for eight. You know how that goes, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. He's a dog. He can have eight <laughs> times the human does. They were like, have one Apple TV out of that VHS. You are so and fun. He, that was a great line. He had. I also looked at my Apple TV to check it, and I was like, "He's right." <laughs> <laughs> no, the new ones though are a bit bigger, actually. The, no, they used to be smaller. Oh, really? Well, I have an old one, mm. so four was correct. Mm. So what happened? Your dog went in the backpack and ate. Yeah, ate a weed brownie, and then I mean, we took him to the vet. Everything was fine. But, really? But the what really the <laughs> that seems like. Just chocolate alone. People are like, don't I give know. me dog chocolate. Yeah, that's, and so that's, he ate a chocolate weed brownie and he was fine. They had to pump his stomach and oh, they gross. kept him for like two days or three days. Yeah, he's been sober though since um, <laughs> he's actually sponsoring other dogs. We're proud of the little guy. No, so he but, didn't do anything weird? No, I mean, he was... <laughs> I watch, mean, it, it, the, the, he watched two seasons of Friends. A dog high is um, really... Is sad because they can't hold their pee in mm. and they are just alarmed by everything yeah just constant and then and scared and yeah and you're, you're like watching somebody that doesn't know how to handle their booze or handle their weed like it's a just, bad one. Oh my god it's yeah 
I remember I've I've been with a number of people that didn't handle their weed well. I've sometimes been that person. But I remember yeah. very vividly smoking up my friend Ern. And then it was like the first or second time he had ever smoked in his life. And he was getting so paranoid, but his paranoia was that it wasn't working. And I was like, and I was very high too, but I was like, we had smoked so much. And I was like, there was no way it wasn't working. Yeah. I was like, okay, see how like emphatic you're being that it's not working. Like see how worked up and yeah. scared you are that it's not working. That's being stoned. That's it work. It's like it's here. Yeah. It has arrived. Santa the, is in town. You're the ice melting. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, I think about it. I mean, the ice melting and the air in the vase and your grandfather, all this stuff. So in my mushroom trip, I was looking at ice melting and I was like, it's not going anywhere. Like the idea of anything going anywhere mm-hmm. is completely preposterous. You know, it's really been tripping me out lately. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't said, I told this to anybody, but I love thinking about it. Is that you don't think about like sometimes maybe you might consider that the air is made of molecules. You're made of molecules and the air is made of molecules. I've said this a million times on the podcast. So for those listening, I'm almost done. But here's the new part. Outer space is made of molecules. Like you think maybe just the earth is just kind of like a swarm of molecules. Outer space is also made of the same thing Mm -hmm. ice is made of and your poop. And an Apple TV. So when you look up into the cosmos, it's not like, oh, there's the cradling ocean that's holding reality that's Earth. That's all. So if you could see, if you could like turn the dial on your perception to a molecular level, it would just be a never ending, <laughs> infinite sprawl of, see, of little dots. I don't care. How can you not care about that? I what I was just thinking about you caring about it, and I was thinking like that reminds me of my son. Like, I'm I'm touched and I'm honored. No, because he does just like the the body, right? My 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 grandfather dying, and I'm trying to explain to him he died in his sleep, and he said so is now. Is it just his his thought process? Is it bones in a bed now? That's perfect. Which is would be like that's like in cartoons. Yeah, sometimes bones it is just in bones bed. in a bed. This bones in the bed. That's brilliant. <laughs> and then it's I go brilliant. And then he goes, "Sounds McCoy, you're brilliant." So it's just bones in a bed. Bones in a bed. That's then- basically what a, fu- a funeral could be. Thirty seconds if the priest, pastor, whoever just went up and goes, uh, "It's just bones in a bed." What was grandfather is somewhere else or gone. BB. Now just BB. Being a B. BB. <laughs> Peace. And BB. And to everyone the that came out. <laughs> it's just bones in and the bed. And then I said. Well, no, they they put him in a coffin or a casket, what's, which is just a, a hard bed. What's that? Oh God, I don't know, man. Oh, um, and man. I go, and I go, uh, yeah, I, I guess just that's what they bury him in. And he goes, that's not what I want. And I'm think, and I go, well, what, what would you want? Thinking he's going to say, how old is he now? I'm sorry, six, six, just turned six. I'm thinking he's going to say cremation. He's going to go through that thing. And I go, what is it you want? And he goes, ah, I just want to go to heaven. Hilarious. And I thought, well, I hope that works out for you. <laughs> we all, none of us are quite sure yet, but but that's amazing. His whole, th- I mean, but I remember when I was think- young, though, I would have never asked any of those questions. I would have just been like, um, just act like you know what happens to dead bodies. Don't mention it. As a kid. Yeah. I do feel like, and I hope I'm right. That's how I'm about molecules. But here's my my point. I'm not asking you to be fascinated. I'm not even I mean, asking. it is fascinating. I know. Dude, I have a bit about but this. But I can't even I, think about care- it. But you can. That's really what I'm inviting you to do. Because when we talk about space, when yeah. we talk about planets, 
Science fiction has this problem. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We need lasers and we need like people dying. We need the issues of Earth just happening in space because space on its own isn't that interesting to us. But what I'm really saying is if you sit and think about the television static of a TV and don't consider it as a concept but realize that you are that, considering that, mm-hmm. you can really feel that there's nothing here. There's nothing solid. Poor Katie has to hear this every week. There's nothing happening. It's just, and that's you. Yeah. And if you can really digest that, you'll feel the the floor drop out from you. But if that TV is staticking, I'm just going to turn it off. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> God, that was annoying. What are we up to now? <laughs> Who's that- sitting there watching it? That's great. That's people in scary movies. They're just like, hey, let's see if this gets any better. I guess something happened to me where that became interesting. And it was it's interesting to a a lot of people. It's interesting to a lot of people, though. I I actually don't think that's true. Most people don't give a a oh really fuck. I mean, there's a sect of people that are curious and want to know and want an explanation. They need that explanation. That's they need that I'm understanding. Saying. I don't want an explanation. I want you to consider that that's what you're talking to right now. Just if you don't want to do I'm it to yourself. I'm talking to a static TV. That's right. And you're sitting on one. And so is the planet. And mm-hmm. so is the air. And that's everything. Yeah. And that's going around going, I don't believe in miracles. Yeah. Like that's fucking insane. So miracles in the sense of. Well, I, yeah, that's a. I'm going with the everything's a miracle. Uh Mm. Like everything's, here's a better way to put that. Everything's miraculous. What even your, your capacity to doubt or say that nothing is a miracle is a miracle. That's my point. See, because somewhere in that static (laughs) self-awareness emerged and went, this is nothing. Well, see, so right now what you're doing is I, I usually take the easy way out. So I have this new bit and I'm not going to get into it, but the, the the kind of we have the time the the thing the thing that it is is uh, my son sees a death right he sees a bird fly into the window of his playroom and then he wants to go outside and see the bird the bird's on the ground it's dead we're looking at it and then I realize that I'm looking at a dead bird but what he's looking at is just a bird because he doesn't understand death right and then I realize in that moment I might have to explain death to a five year old boy. And what actually seemed easier to me was if I could somehow gather up all of the birds in the neighborhood and explain windows than to embark on a death explanation with this five-year-old. <laughs> Just like in this scene of like explaining windows to birds, it's way easier to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the second – I think I was thinking about it wrong and then I remembered it was a joke and it was hilarious. <laughs> but the first time I was trying really hard to get it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird that we put on different hats? Yeah. Oh, now I'll listen to a joke. But you know what's funny too about <laughs> That's what jokes. an audience is, yeah. people wearing the joke hat. Well, I just remembered too that I added a tag to that joke. With, you know how you say something in a, when a joke kind of happens and then you, you say it and then one time you realize there's a double meaning to it and you can twist it? You know, like, because at that joke, I end that joke with me actually explaining windows to birds. Like, we're going to see clear squares and big solids. <laughs> Don't try it, guys. You're not going to get to the couch. Um, I know there's food in there. Yeah, it's not for you. It looks good. I know. If it, if the if reality is shiny, fly away. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> if reality is shiny, I like that. 
but then I say, okay, great. So now let's talk about Windows 95. And then, <laughs> and then that gets a laugh. But then last time I did it, I said, let's talk about Windows 95. Laugh. And I go, we lost a lot of birds in 95 to Windows. <laughs> and it was like the perfect way to come back to it. But it's like that night, that made my whole week. <laughs> Let's talk about Windows Vista. If you're flying on a Vista, keep an eye out for Windows, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. But isn't it, I guess, isn't it, because, you know, I have a baby. She's 14 months. Yeah. At some point, there's going to be explanations of these things. Is, yeah, dude, I haven't even really thought about it. But the 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 thing that makes a bird operate, it's heart beating. You don't really yeah. think about a bird having a heart. It's brain function, it's circulatory system, it's digestive system, it's respiratory system. You don't think about a bird breathing. No. Isn't that weird? You can suffocate a bird. It's fucking nuts. It's doing the same thing we're doing. Just strangle them. I was thinking in a room where you just suck the air out and it's like, tweet? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking sad. I know. I know. We got dark on this one, but I love it and need it. That went away. I mean, if we're just looking at it as a material, I, you know what? If I were if I were to take a bird out, I wouldn't strangle it. I'd snap its neck. You know, I would just yeah, of mice and men, strangle it. Strangling a bird sounds it's yeah, it's like trying to stab somebody with a needle. It's I'd like, smother it with a tiny pillow. Okay. I used to have a bit about that. I was like, if I'm going to die, I want to be smothered by a pillow. That is the most comfortable way to die. That just fits this. <laughs> no, I want so a huge you can one. see. The bit was, it's just too fluffy. I thought that was so funny. I'm, that's my first year of stand-up. I thought being, and I also had a bit about death of beds. I was like, you know, you love bed when you hear about a deathbed, and you're like, nice. <laughs> Ooh, ay ay ay. Stay in bed all day. Uh, you had me at bed when you were young. All when I was like, when was your prime? But all those are good premises, though. That's the thing too. Is when you go, oh, back you go and you back. see these old premises, and you're like. Wow, I'm surprised that I took it that direction, but there could be something yeah, there with that. Yep. I think Gaffigan beat me to that because he had a bit where he goes... Oh, yeah, he had a whole bit about napping or something. Napping. You know you love napping when you hear someone's in a coma and you say, that sounds nice. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's my deathbed. That's what happened when I watched Dimitri Martin special. I was like, I lost seven... Like, I, I oh, don't know really? If that's ever happened to you where you're just like, well, fuck you. <laughs> like, you're so mad. Yeah. I wasn't even mad. I was touched. Yeah, I had a guy come up to me... Uh, you know, you, people come up to you after shows and are like, oh, I'm just starting stand-up. You know, and you're like, oh, God, what's this conversation going to be like? You know, and you give them like, the, yeah, you just got to keep getting up, man, whenever you can. You know, and he goes, well, I, I was actually going to ask you because I saw like one of your bits and you started it off and I, and oh. then you took it a direction where I saw a different direction. Is it okay if I do that where I take the, the premise and then I add my own? And I go, okay, I... Listen, let me be very honest with you. The direction that you thought is the most basic bitch version of that joke possible. And that's why I don't do that. Because someone like you can think of that in the audience. So I do it the other way. And that's why it's funny. Wow. And also, no, you can't do that. You can't take a premise, man. And don't ask comedians directly after stage how to become a comedian. Oh, no. I was just, I had enough. (laughs) You have had had enough. enough. I had enough in that moment with that guy. Oh my god! I still remember when Todd Berry didn't want to hear me run a bit when I was becoming a comedian. So that kid is going to become 
a famous comedian. <laughs> he hasn't <laughs> even gone on stage. He was just like, so do you think I can just hop up on stage? It's like, well, when oh. you're getting the frequency that they're just trying to say, I could do what you do in like an aggro way, I understand why that would feel upsetting. It is It is the aggro sense of, now I'm going to come off like an asshole, but it is, it's the difference between people, you know, people think they're being funny and they're just being mean. Yes. After a show. That happens quite often, happens all surprisingly. Yeah. You sort of, sometimes humor without skill just goes into the mean fuel and then mm-hmm. they just but they want to they think they're joining in you see this on twitter a lot too where people are like great joke you fat fuck or whatever and you're just like what i know <laughs> Why are you doing this isn't that funny though because if you were to go and see a musician that you love yeah would you try and lyrically and and melodically please him i here's my counterpoint just for fun i'm on your side and i hear what yeah. you're saying I think a lot of the people in the audience could be, maybe not a lot, but some of them could be, for sure, comedians. And whether or not they'll actually do stand-up, they probably have the capacity and the potential to have good thoughts, humorous thoughts. I don't think what we're doing is important. I think anybody can figure it out, but <laughs> but I don't. That's hilarious. I also think that I would have never asked anybody that. Can I do your premise and move it the other way? Yeah. I think about Carrot Top. He's dying of cancer. Carrot Top's I, dying no. of cancer? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> this guy in the... Yeah, and I, and I turned it You're away. like, no. It was your make a, make a bad wish. <laughs> <laughs> I want Nick Thune to turn me down. No, Carrot Top, when he started, I remember reading in a book, uh, just went up and did George Carlin's routines, right? So he had the actual impulse, obviously, that he followed through with to become a comedian. Yeah. But he didn't know. So it is possible that he didn't know. I don't know. Well, there's that French comedian. Have you seen that? That stole like Carlin, Stephen Wright. He just did it in Mitch French. Hedberg. And wow, how'd they catch him? <laughs> Somebody knew People both were languages. Paying attention. <laughs> Wait, so he was just going around doing their act? Yeah, and he was going up at the cellar a lot. Like he was in the U.S. and then he went. Wait, this isn't the famous guy. Yeah. It is? Mm-hmm. What's his name? Gilad or something? It's not Gad. Gad. Yeah. I mean, look at look up the YouTube thing. But yeah, it's like he does, you know, the Steve, you know, the Mitch Hedber bit about using his car keys to get into his house and then, or no, that's Stephen Wright. And then, yeah. he, and then he gets pulled over on the freeway in his house. He, he basically did. did that. Like he did these jokes very, very word for word. Word for word? Pretty much. There's a side-by-side video of him. Is it... Here's my question. It's like Melania Trump doing uh, Michelle speech. Obama's speech. It was that bad? Pretty much, I think, yeah. Was it more than once? Because when I hear that, I yeah, go like... Yeah, there's like four Carlin bits. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's... And this that's, is like in stadiums. That's a big problem. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a painful thing. I, I was sort of rooting for him. Perhaps I still am. I'm, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I hope he redeems himself, but that's sad. But I don't. I'm never the one to be super on the side of yes, they stole or I because there is such a I don't know, you know, dude. We would have this conversation in the Crashers writing room, right? Writers room all the time. It's cryptomancy. Someone would say, I remember, and Fitzsimmons. We've talked about this on on this podcast. He was like, somebody stole my fountain joke, and he was like. I was like, don't tell me the bit and I'm going to tell you what it was. And that wasn't to, you know, put him down. Yeah. But like, if you ask another comedian, the premise is fountains. What are we going to, what is it? And like, it ended up sort of being a very, very funny take, but I'm like, I'm always going to be on the side of like, 
yeah, if a comedian sees a fountain, yeah. he's probably at some point, if he thinks about it long enough, or she is going to go, wow, we have so much water, we just ejaculate it in the sky and throw 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 money into it. Yeah. Like That's how affluent we are. Mm-hmm. And that was what the bit was. And uh, I forget where Fitz landed on it. Maybe I convinced him, maybe I didn't. And maybe I'm not convincing the listeners. But like my point was, I feel like people can write that joke. And when you have car keys and house keys and your house is a car, I was sort of on the fence there. But if, you, if you're doing it multiple times... And then driving down the freeway... That, that's, that's too much. The, I mean, yeah, watch, you're right. watch the video and make your own opinion. But it, it definitely... You know, because I'd, I'd heard the story about these Norwegian comedians um, when I was in performing in Oslo. That, Norwegians? Norwegians. <laughs> and they, these like four, there's like four comedians there that just make a living, millions of dollars performing just in Norway. Mm. And to big stadium type things, you know? Wow. And um, apparently what I heard, and I don't know if this is true, and I don't know which comedians, I'm not throwing any accusations out. It was just a story I heard from a young Norwegian comedian, that these comedians are known to go to New York for two weeks to a month out of the year and comb through open mics and shows and take premises. Oh. and It's like a heist. Yeah. Isn't it funny that we love theft, but we don't love intellectual theft? Like if there was a movie yeah. and they go and they rub little banks. <laughs> would be well, like, because hell or high water? These guys are local heroes. Everybody hates banks though, right? You're right, and they're insured. Mm-hmm. You're stealing someone's essence. You're stealing somebody's identity, basically. Yeah. That's what makes it so yeah. heinous. That is... You're, all, you're you always know so conscious of that, too. Of I what? Mean, you, I think the amount of texts and e- slash emails I've gotten from you about, like, hey, remember when we were this yeah. TV show? I'm going to do... And it was like, yeah, of course. Because it's not like you. I came up with the idea that you were brought up in a Christian household. And- well, I wrote that Simpsons script. I yeah. wrote a Simpsons script about a new pastor coming into Springfield mm-hmm. that'll be out, I don't know, in a couple months. Yeah. And you and I, m- many years ago. At this photo shoot of a... Yeah, my photo shoot. Uh, for your... For my album. For your album For cover. Uh, Nice Try the Devil. You and I, as comedians do. Here's the thing, though, and maybe this will be interesting to you. I'm an achiever, and the downside... It's a personality type. It's called the Enneagram. So the downside of the achiever is deceit. So a awakened or converted or whatever or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. uh, achiever tries to be very very aware of their capacity for deceit yeah so even when i hear the boys from norway going and stealing it a hundred percent i disagree but there's a tiny voice that i'm like that's smart you take the material and you go and you get your cash in norway and you just blow into big horns and on mountains i don't know what they're doing yeah and that's basically the idea that that kid brought up to me at my gig in peoria you know right Illinois, Illinois. wherever i was yeah he's sort of having like a conniving can i take your idea Dude, there was that comedian. I don't want to out him, but there was that guy who used to be like, if I wanted to get on Comedy Bang Bang, I would just tell them I was doing Letterman and I wanted to run my set and that's how I would get on it. And those stories make me really barf city. But And I've never done anything close to any of these things, but I've become super sensitive to like, you and I had an idea of a guy singing Amazing Grace the Cool Way. No, that's a, but that's a genuinely... That what you did is good. It's right because that makes me know. Oh, he's and thinking you, of me. He's not just blindly running into this thing and saying, you know, whatever. I right. mean, it was a, it was a nice. He'll feeling. deal with it when he sees it. Yeah, you could do that. Sometimes I'm sorry. I'm glad I gave you a good feeling. 
And that, that was my intention. But it wouldn't have been a bad feeling if you hadn't done that. It would have just been normal. Right. So you actually just kind of added a little honey to my that, tea. <laughs> comedians have that style. I've heard that mentality of who gets it to TV first. Like you both have a oh, great yeah. bed frame bit. And it's like, well, just see who gets it to TV first. <laughs> that was that was the, the back deal. in the day. Yeah. Before YouTube and stuff. Yeah. It's like just see who gets it to TV first. Now, in the same episode, um, I wanted Reverend Lovejoy to be eating uh binging on biblical based snacks. Mm-hmm. I it was like Sermon on the Mountain Dew was one of them. All these it's it's just a visual gag in the background. And I was like, I tried for an hour to beat it. I just sat there trying to think of it. But I was like, there's nothing funnier than Dane Cook's joke. Jesus. Like he's eating Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. It's from his presents. It's a very, very old bit. It's it's a great bit. He talks about going to communion and they give you the little wafer and he goes, a Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. So I texted him too. Those those are the two people I text. I don't just text everyone I know and go, can you please make my script funny? But it's just a background gag. Yeah. Chances, this is what the bad part of the three says. He's not going to see it. They might not even use it. It might not make the episode. Yeah. But the new me, and I'm happy to say this just because I hope it, it inspires people because both you and Dane were like, thank you for asking. And, that, and, and I appreciate you asking. And of course you can use the joke. And I think I was like, when it airs, I'm going to tweet, there's a hidden Dane Cook joke in the episode. Yeah. But our thing was a little bit more nebulous because it was just you and I discussed what it was like. You and I, what you and I came up with was a show where you and I played our versions of what Christianity was for us. Right. Where for me, I was on stage playing the guitar, the doing cool the Jack Johnson, Dave Matthews, whatever, yeah. hack either. Yeah. You know, the Christian horrible music. You were what your face is, and I was what my face is. And so we just thought, what if those a- two faces were together? <laughs> I, yes, exactly. It was the idea that... And that show, we should have we should have really followed through on that. I know. That could have been something. It was a little ahead of its time. I feel like nowadays, those shows are more... They because are- I feel like because of podcasts and stuff, maybe it's partly podcasts. It's the internet, for sure. But people are a little bit more open about religion. Whereas I remember pitching something to an assistant of an assistant of an assistant to HBO 15 years ago about religion. And, and she she was just like, we don't do religion. Yeah, most people don't. I mean, I, the, the Tonight Show can't talk about religion now because of one of my sets. What do you mean? I did a set where I was a youth pastor. and um, You pretended to be a youth pastor? Yes. <laughs> and... I'm like doing a character like I, I could be like I'm just saying I could be the most successful youth pastor. Just look at me like this would be it's easy. That's basic. It's, you know, yeah. whatever. And then I I do like a prayer where I say, you know, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for these noodles. Ramen. Oh, and I go into my, my this bit, and it's oh so. Oh my God, Nick! <laughs> and I go into this. That whole is bit. joke of the century. <laughs> Thank you for these noodles, ramen. <laughs> it's so dumb. It is. It's great though. It's great it, when it's delivered sincerely. I I think it, it feels like there's candy in my mouth. <laughs> it gave me like a, like the parts of my mouth that light up when I eat toffee. Lit up when I heard that joke, and I I find a lot of humor in Jesus, um, and and still like I just wrote a joke where I say um, I come from a long line of dads, unlike Jesus, hilarious, who came from one mom, <laughs> and you know unless we're all r- wrong here, <laughs> but it's just funny to play with that kind of stuff. Of course, and so the Tonight Show, I did this whole thing, and then the next day they got 
letter upon letter from the Christian Defamation League. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I remember I was going to the airport and the producer like texted me. I got freaked out. Like, oh my God, they're never going to have me back. They're, oh God, this is going to get like, you know, forgetting that any press because is good press. So this would have, no, it was, there was more, more to do with, with all of it in there because I, I basically mock, um, this, this sermon that's very, this, this, this preacher that's super popular. And I'm not, I don't think I should say his name, but he's one of the guys. He's like Justin Bieber's peace preacher, like I Kanye. Think, I think we all know. And um, <laughs> he had this whole, this whole bit where he says, um, I'll never forget when I was five years old and I got lost in a grocery store. And I go, <laughs> let's just pause there. Okay. I know where this guy grew up, first of all. Second of all, yeah, I just remember when I was five five years old and I got lost in a grove. Of course you do. Yeah, and the small thing that none of, no one's looking at is that he could have got lost in a grocery store within a 50-mile radius of where he was brought up, and a better family might have found him. <laughs> That's what you said? Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing bad going to happen there. <laughs> so, But then he, then he goes, I remember when I got lost in a grocery store. Have you ever felt lost? And I go, the annoying thing is he's taking an experience from when he was five at a grocery store and comparing it to people that feel fucking lost, mm. that genuinely feel lost mm. in, in this world, in life. And he's saying, I get it because I was lost in a grocery store when I was five. And I go, so, and then I kind of go through whatever my actual sermon that I say I would do. And at the end of it, I'll say, I'll never forget. I was three years old and I was playing with my favorite toy. It was a fire truck. I was a big fire truck head. And I dropped it, and it landed on my big toe. Later that day, my toenail came off. Have you ever lost a loved one? Because <laughs> I love that goddamn toenail. Oh my god! <laughs> and you know, I, I, so in a way, I'm like mocking the simplicity and the idiocracy of of a lot of these sermons that these preachers are. I don't know why I'm being so contrarian today. You're against it. Well, I mean, Jesus talks about a lost coin. Yeah, he I, talks about he talks about way more trivial things trying to communicate. I don't. I'm with you mm-hmm. as a comedian and as your friend. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. I don't think you need to be hard. hard. As, I was no, hard. no, no. I don't think you need to be attacked for that. That's a fine point. And you know what's beautiful about it? And this is real. Mm-hmm. You're saying, hey, I'm in pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's people going through the world with their dogs that look like them. I'm talking about me and Val. And we just want to be like, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I was lost. Sometimes it's lost. And like, it's just sort of a, a lap around the, the pain pool. And some people are drowning in the pain pool. And I fucking get it. And your heart is right. And your comedic instincts are right. Totally support. And I'm also just sort of like, yeah, sometimes you just go like, you ever lose a coin? And Jesus, Jesus is literally talking about the swarm of molecules. And he's like, you know, you work for a farmer and he pays you even though yeah. you showed up late. And you're like, that's what it's like in the universe. So he's trying to take, yeah, like he's he's using metaphors and and in a way that is like, here's how to understand this this huge thing. Whereas like getting lost in a grocery store, I don't know. I think the problem is, sorry, you don't know. Sorry, I don't know if that equates to, um, you know, the homeless guy I just saw. That's, I agree. That's lost totally. And so I just think that the thing that I had a chip on my shoulder, and I think I've gotten over it actually, about Christianity and these pastors was. That they're coming from a place as if they can relate to that when that's not your job. Your job's not to relate 
to a person that has more on their plate that you could ever imagine that you've ever had to deal with. Mm. Your job is to tell them that you're there to listen. That's beautiful. And that you're there it's to the, tell them about God. That's the Dalai Lama. He says when you talk, you can only say what you already know. But when you listen, you have a chance to get something new yeah. and grow and change. And so relate. don't say you understand that person because you don't. There's no way you could. Right. I Also, the definition of empathy is trying to feel how they might feel. Mm. <laughs> yeah i think but also to say i always feel like empathy is saying like god i wouldn't I, I couldn't understand what you're going through and i i feel for you about that i think it however it is even if you do come up short mm-hmm. is try is the effort i think that's part of it the effort me. to the effort to try and imagine yeah. mm-hmm. you know i felt that even if it was just dropping my truck on my big toe I know what pain is with the baby. That's what we're doing all the time is I didn't know this, but you're supposed to, women are so much better at it. I just mean just watching women, grown women with one another. Mm-hmm. You notice when, uh, when one of Val's friends is suffering, the other one will just mirror that. It's just such a beautiful thing. Mm. We're all supposed to be doing that. Men are just sort of like, give them nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but we, I'm learning with my baby that when my baby is crying <clears throat> to go like, Oh, I know. I know. Big feelings. That's what we always say. Yeah. Big feelings. It's hard. And you know, I know she can't understand me yet, but I go like, I was little too. I know. And now I'm big. You'll be big. But right now you're little and it's scary. And I understand. And that's what I see Val with her grown ass women friends. They do that. And that's, that can be so confusing. Um, but that can be, I think I was also going to say just to add to, this very, I think this is a very interesting topic. With this pastor, mm-hmm. who just for fun will remain nameless. Yeah. <laughs> just for fun. Well, there's a few of these types of guys. I, but I think the medium is the message. And when you are mm-hmm. a soup, because that same guy, who I actually, I, I enjoy him. Um, I don't know everything about him. The little bits here and there that I've heard, I've been like, that's nice. Um, we might be talking about different people. We're there's... talking about Joel Osteen. <laughs> no, 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 We're no. not? No. Kanye West and Justin. I mean, oh, Justin Bieber's pastor is a different guy. Mm-hmm. Same thing. We're not talking about Joel Osteen. Now I'm talking about Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. When Joel Osteen, when I was younger in my 20s and really like Joel Osteen, mm-hmm. I remember he would tell stories about God's favor. And I took issue with it because I was in a heart my, I was going through a divorce and I'm listening to this guy and he's like, I went to the airport and the, and the flight was sold out. I really needed the story, fill in the story here. He really needed to get somewhere. Yeah. And I went up to them and before I went up to the, the counter, I just said, God, thank you for your favor. And he went, and I have no problem with that, by the way. <laughs> he goes up to the woman and he just goes, I really need to get to this place. And she said, there's nothing I can do. But as I'm talking to her, the pilot came by and said, you know, whatever it is, there's the jump seat or there's a private Mm -hmm. plane going or this or that. And next thing you know, I'm on a plane and I'm flying. And I heard that story. And I think this might be kind of where you're coming from. Maybe I might be wrong. No, but I go, Joel, that's a lovely story. The completely honest version that I would like the, the clergy as a whole to take a note from show business and flood their anecdotes with all the honesty they have available and say, they let me on that plane. And that was God's favor. Joel behind you in that story is a Hudson books filled with your face. Yeah. And that's okay. 
you are a celebrity. And you know what? Celebrities get special treatment, and that's okay. It doesn't dequalify your story. It doesn't mean that that wasn't a special thing for you, and it doesn't mean that your feeling of being cared for by the universe is invalid. But like when I heard that story, I was like, come on, man. My mom knows who you are. I know who you are. I mean, it doesn't that pilot is it. like, there's the guy from your best life now. I'm going to let him on the plane. Yeah. Because he's a huge celebrity. Billy Graham, same thing. Billy Graham can't say, and you know what? I couldn't get a cab. And a man get you know what? One time and I just went. Just a to, man gave me a ride. I went to a gas station. I got a flat tire on the way to the Irvine Improv. I was going to be late. I was going to miss mm-hmm. the show. The mi- the middle was already on stage. I pulled over at the gas station. I I was calling a tow truck. Somebody getting gas. Uh, if I was going to tell the story the church way, somebody uh, saw me with my flat tire. Said, "Where are you going?" And gave me a ride to the club. What really happened was they went, "Are you Pete Holmes?" Yes. Where you go? I'm trying to get to a show. You want to come? You can come to the show. Absolutely. That's the story, yeah. and that's the that's and great. that doesn't mean that I didn't feel that good Mister Rogers neighbor love of this woman who I wish I remembered her name, but I remember driving to the show and it was one of the best shows of my life because I felt that feeling of community. Mm-hmm. My celebrity was a part of that story, and I wish I have a, I I care about pastors a lot. I wish they could say I don't believe today, I doubt today. My grandfather just died or a bird just flew in a window and I'm feeling very existential and and sad. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share my doubt with you because I know some of you are doubting. That would make me very happy, but they all have to be like Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse can't not believe in the magic of Disney. Yeah. And I wish they would be honest about like, and I'm Joel Osteen and I'm famous and they, then they let me on a private plane or I'm Joel Osteen and I'm, and I'm wealthy. There's he, he just is, you know what I'm saying? Like he is, and he could charter a plane. (laughs) It will be okay. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, I've I've had moments like that with, you know, people giving me favor because of something. God's favor. Um, and thank you for your favor. And, but then the times when it really happens, where it's just random and it's a good person, and and somebody helps you or you help somebody. Beautiful, the best. And that's way more meaningful. <clears throat> and and everybody that heard that story saw through that story and thought, well, that's because you're Joel Osteen. I hope so. Well, of course they did, right? I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, because in a way, though, God did favor him. God gave him the fame, and the reason that he got on that flight was because of his faith to God, and because he spends time telling people about it. And he got so well known about a person that stands for what he believes in and believes in God. And that's that a fine. He got too. given a seat on a plane. That's fine too. That's and right. so that made me realize how powerful God is because. Of my devotion to him, he helps me, or I felt his hand in this. Yeah, sure. And that's valid, too. And it's and that's the same story, same effect. It's a little... Well, what I like about Joel Osteen, and my friend David Vanderveen said this, is that he's teaching kindergarten. It's not, And that sounds bad, but kindergarten is like the most important yeah. place and time. And so please don't take that out of context and say he's not dumbing it down or being he's teaching the basics. Mm -hmm. He's teaching the basics. So I think it gets a little bit more complicated if you let some of that more in. Yeah. But sorry, no, the basics it's, that's what I feel like a lot of the church though is, is lacking is that they're just, they're all talking to kindergartners. You think it's too much basics. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. I just think things are a lot more complex and I do. Well, the basics will always be popular because the basics are like, you're loved. And it, you're, you're here. You're special. That's okay. So, so do you think all basics. Christians are optimistic? 
No. <laughs> no? <laughs> Most Christians believe that, I believe, this is a Richard Rohr quote, if the, if the standard is you have to believe in Christ and subscribe to the church, then 0.00001% of all humanity ever is in heaven with those standards. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at all of, all of Homo erectus, yeah. Homo sapiens as a whole, it's, it's, that is not optimism. Mm. that's the least optimistic thing you can I have a bit about it now where I'm like when I was religious I used to go around and I would believe that both you and Katie are going to hell and I like making it personal I don't believe Mm -hmm. that please Um, but that's what I used to believe Mm -hmm. and I just eat a tuna melt but optimistic (laughs) for your life though you're optimistic because you're saying hey there's a way out here and it's and it's nice and it's for me I suppose but that's not real optimism real optimism is the when we talk about that swarm, that TV static of being that mm-hmm. keeps undulating like a fountain and keeps giving breath to the villain and the hero and the thorns and the roses and the, the floods and the droughts, it, the thing that's animating everything is a love that's so – it's almost offensive to us how much this thing just is an undulating yes. Mm-hmm. And that is the love of God and you are that. And that is not pleasing to the ego that would rather say, I'm good, Nick's fucked, Katie's fucked. Yeah. That's tribalism, and that's exclusionary, and that is not optimistic. It's the opposite of optimistic. Mm-hmm. It's narcissism. It's, yeah. it's institutionalized narcissism. My yeah. secret that my parents taught me, that my culture taught me, just happens to be the only secret. Every Hindu is going to hell, every Buddhist is going to hell, certainly every atheist, every agnostic, mm. every hurt person. But you know... The thing that I was going to say was I listened to Joel Osteen right before my divorce and then I tried to listen to him after my divorce and before my divorce, he made so much sense and I was like, yeah, I've been lost in a grocery Mm -hmm. store and then after my divorce, I tried to listen to it and it might as well have been in Klingon. I was like, I don't hear this person anymore Yeah, and that is why I like your bit. Who cares what I think? I'm just saying that is what I see in your bit where you there such an essential voice with depression, with pain, with loss, mm-hmm. is someone saying, it's not all a smiley guy who you know has a heated toilet seat <laughs> telling you, I have a heated toilet seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm oh. just saying, you know, <laughs> it's great. It <laughs> these these months, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's on Amazon. It's not. Is it just always on? It's always on. It's not expensive. It's like a 7-Eleven. He's just open You know it's open 24 hours but he's locking it up And I said not in a row You know who said that? A French comedian named No I'm just kidding it's Stephen Wright The difference though because 7-Eleven is open But that's an employee's only bathroom You are funny Your bathroom You got that good mind You got that great Your bathroom I mean that's for anybody really I, um, I, I was excited Not excited I wanted to reach out to you because I heard that. It, are you getting divorced? You can't come on the You Made It Weird podcast. <laughs> no. This was your idea. <laughs> Dude, I just heard that you were going through it. Let, let's be honest mm-hmm. and know that this is your episode. You can edit out anything you want. Yeah, yeah. We'll send you the audio. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a gotcha podcast. I'm not looking for a scoop, obviously. I heard when I was on the road that you were going through a rough time. And I was like, I should reach out to Nick. And then you emailed me to do the podcast again. I was like, mm-hmm. perfect. Because this is, this is, unfortunately, it just is what it is. This is how I talk with people. 
So well, the thing I, is, I I'm not actually going you. through a rough time. I'm going through a good time. Tell me everything. Um, I was going through a rough time. I got I checked myself into rehab. Okay. Um, okay. A year and October 10th, 2018. Um, and then 10-10. Yeah, 10-10. 18, man. Oh, I knew it when I was a kid, too. That was my day. <laughs> I I just, yeah. So I, I I really gone off the hinges. and With what? booze it just anything anybody would give me really hmm. mostly booze though but i this is how you know it's, it's starting to get bad when bill burke in front like at a grocery store saw me and he goes yeah can't wait to see this concept album <laughs> hilarious and then somebody else told you mean me, because you seemed like you were in a way yeah oh yeah and he then somebody else told me that he told them i was in a way and then saw mark Marin in a lobby of a hotel and he's like heard you going through a roughie huh yeah and well, was it was like, getting around, yeah. not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I didn't hear it from multiple people, but I love you, and yeah. uh, and we're similar in our upbringings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like a, like this was a year ago when you heard this, or just now when you heard it? No, it was recently. Yeah, it was like if it couldn't be more than a month or two ago. Mm. And I was like, oh fuck. And I remember asking people, forgive me, I should have just called you, but I was like, should I call Nick? I didn't want to be phony. I didn't yeah. want to be like, hi. You know how we are. Mm-hmm. I live a block from Kumail. I haven't seen him in over a year. I live a block from Jamie Lee. I haven't seen her over a year. I love these people dearly. When you mentioned Moshe and his, and his sauna, it's like, I wish I knew Moshe had a sauna. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's I, my neighbor. I love him. Yeah, he's your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. So you know how close he is. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in over a year. Mm-hmm. That's just showbiz. And I was like, do I lean it's into that? It's also becoming a parent, though. It's also becoming a parent. It was sort of that way. You're right. It is a parent. Well, you and I used to see each other. That's true. A lot, and then you fall off. You sort of get your little. Our careers tribe. also got busier. I like this compassion. You know, I, I mean, like I, <laughs> I've decided to give everybody their own outs because I, I knew what I know what it feels like to be going through something where the things that you're doing are unmanageable. Meaning, you can't. I was doing things that I had no control over. I was making horrible choices. I was sick you know and that was my own thing i'm not saying that everyone else is going that way but like your addiction you mean substances i just imagine that we're all going through something dude that's it and and hey man and when it happens to you hopefully you can have so much compassion for yourself yeah because you're like well i have this i have this i have this but someone cuts you off in traffic and they're just a piece of shit like the, the the whole thing is going i hate to say it I've cut people off in traffic. I know. I pulled it in front of a bus once. I was just in a shit mood, and I was like, fuck you, bus. I know. It's going down Vermont to the 10, and I used to have to do that every day, and I was like, not today, bus, and I cut in front of, I cut in front of 100 people. We've all done, <laughs> we've all done the thing. <laughs> it wasn't just one in guy. one swoop. It was a, 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 a bus driver has to deal with crazy people. Mm-hmm. I was that guy, and he honked at me. It was unsafe. and mm-hmm. But I was like... Yes, but I and I could understand. So you're the, what you're saying is the key is one of the great keys to everything. Something's going on. Is something's going on? Yeah. And if it was you, mm-hmm. you'd go, yeah, I yeah. And and uh, usually when something's going on, uh, when it's like what I was going through, is you you're kind of unaware of it. I mean, you know, I think I told you you knew before that I'd gone to rehab when I was like 17. I think that sounds familiar. I went to a me- I got put into a mental institute when I was 17 and was it was a just a a crazy kid you know and then was sober for like 12 years you 
Well, give us the 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 brief version of that. I'm I'm more interested in the in this current one, but like, what do you mean mm-hmm. you were a crazy kid? Well, <clears throat> um, you know, I was looking for my way to be important, my way to be different, to be accepted. And all of my friends, it was sports and athlete, you know, athletic endeavors, and they were all actually the guys that lived within a block of my house, and they happened to be like the best athletes at my school. So I'm hanging out with these guys that are getting all this attention. And then the second that partying, smoking cigarettes, the second that there was anything that you could do that people would talk about, I would start doing. Yeah. And um, becoming like the guy. Dude, I remember that. I was at, this was a long time ago. I was at a party and I chugged a bottle of white wine just for exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) white wine i know i was just there's no way it was chilled (laughs) (laughs) but what i'm saying is it wasn't just to get drunk it was to be like this is a funny story Mm -hmm. like i think i can do this and i did and i stayed and ate dinner (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you you should how old were you uh wow that was probably seven years ago wow and you didn't get sick or anything no yeah, that's not. See, that's the story you're doing. I'm not proud of it now. Yeah, but at the time, I was like, everyone's going to be like, he did it. <laughs> and then you become a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and you're like, uh-huh. why did you do it? You know what I mean? Like, but you are looking for love. You're looking for specialness. Yeah, and you and I mean the the amount of people that I haven't seen since I was going through that stuff that I see. Like, I just had dinner with Brett Gelman the other night. Yeah. And he had a friend there. You know. <laughs> stranger things. I can't really do him anymore. He, yeah, he, the guy's nailing it right now on He's TV an alien? shows. No, oh, yeah. No, Brad Gelman is killing it. Yeah. He's our Malkovich. Yeah. He's great. And he brought a friend to dinner, this guy, and uh, I didn't remember meeting him. And he was like, yeah, we've actually met a couple times. And then I don't know if you remember last time, because I used to play baseball every Tuesday night. I would go out in this field like we just hit home runs. And it's like a, <laughs> it's fun. It's like a whole bunch of adults. And and I was doing that, but I was also doing it wasted most of the time. And he was like, yeah, I remember one time you were out in the outfield really going through it. And I was like, I, I don't even you were there. He's like, yeah, went a couple times. Didn't remember. Wow. He's like, yeah, you threw up out there. And you, I think you tried to act like it didn't happen. And. <laughs> Wow. And at one point you were kind of having a meltdown on the phone. Uh, yeah. Wow. I'm like, I don't remember any of that. Wow. For sure. So you're blacking out. This is, Oh, I was drinking a bottle and a half to two bottles of vodka a day. The, uh, not the handles, the, the, the leaders. Yeah. Like the, like, Still a, a, like a fifth. Up. Yeah. A fifth. What a is fifth a fifth of vodka? It's like, you know, it's, it's the, not a pint. It's a, it's the, it's the bottle of vodka you'd bring to a party. The kind that people have in their cupboards. Yeah. The big, it's, I mean, it's a big a one. It's not is, the, it's not the gallon milk. Yeah, it's yeah. the half gallon milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still a fuck ton. Yeah. Two and it's a half? Way, a one and a half to two a day. So and, during, and, and, and more though, because I was also drinking at bars and drinking at shows. So, you know, that was like what I was having on the side that nobody knew about. So that's what I had hidden in my bags. I had hidden in multiple places in my house. When did it start? In my when did car. That happen? When did just gradual. You do um, again. Not looking for scandal. I'm interested in. We're all in this industry where everyone's drinking. Yeah. 
And one of the reasons I stopped drinking was I was like, I would leave bars to go home and drink alone. Like, yeah. I, I just wanted to get really drunk. And I would leave bars to go drink at another bar alone and then to go home and drink alone and then drinking alone in my car between both of them. I never understood drinking at a bar. Help me understand that. It just to, honestly, it was just like you want to talk to people. No, it's kind of that romantic. It's like a movie. You want to be thought, like a movie. I guess, but that's not what you're thinking at the time. You just think, you know what, the way I am, it's probably best if I just go sit at a bar alone. Wow. Um, so it started sort of manageable. And then when was the, do you remember the first time you were like, I'm going to start keeping this in my bag or I'm going to have the other vodka that my family doesn't know about? I don't. I don't remember when that happened, but it happened it happened a long time ago i mean i was doing that and then i was also just drinking and throwing away the like sneaking drinks in the kitchen i that always was remember what started to happen michael j fox had that problem and he told that story and it was haunting to me because it sounded familiar mm-hmm. it would be at a dinner party he'd go to the kitchen chug his wine then refill it to the same level yeah and then go back yeah so if it was like half filled he'd fill it half so it just looked like he just went to the kitchen to get some cheese yep that and I was like, shit, I've done that. It's always that's that's actually how you can tell when somebody's using and and I, I forget it every time until I see it happen in front of me is a person that leaves a lot. Really? Person that goes to the bathroom a lot. A person that goes to the kitchen a lot for something that seems like they didn't really need to go to the kitchen. I say this with respect for Artie and his struggle, and he's been sober for a long time and we're all rooting for him. Mm-hmm. That Artie was a guy that would go to the bathroom a lot. Or, or yeah. always had like a and I would say this if he was in the room, and he would say it too. He's a very mm-hmm. transparent person, so please don't feel like I'm betraying a confidence. He was a guy that always had like some weird. He always wanted ice. He was like, "I got to get ice." Yep. And, and and we were like, "No one needs ice," but like you sort of like passively enable people mm-hmm. by going like, even though we know this person's struggling, I guess he needs ice. Like looking back, you're like, he doesn't need ice. <laughs> Yeah, there's no need for it. But at it. the time, you're like, I guess he loves ice. And he'd tell you, I love ice. I love crunching ice. Well, and that's also... I, I always need some ice. And you're like... The, the act of crunching ice, though, is also the act of being unsatisfied. Yeah. It's literally just eating nothingness. Yeah, and you're, it just... You need... You're unsatisfied. It's, it's like, like the addict mind wants yeah. to... Because he did chew ice. Yeah. No. Yeah, people that are deprived of a lot of things chew, chew ice. That's like a big thing about sex. Like somebody that's sexually unsatisfied just gnawing on ice really mm-hmm. very sort of freudian or something it's like an oral fixation yeah i guess yeah yeah but um like i used to have like we would have people over for sundays you know like and we had a big yard and this is the place i know the big hill <clears throat> no from that place i bought a house mm. that i lost what do you mean you lost i mean i i bought a house and resold it within a year because i I basically, my career just like took a pause because of my drinking. Oh no. So I stopped earning and, um, couldn't afford, you know, I also bought a house way too expensive. Mm. The mortgage was ridiculous and we ended up making a lot of money on the house too, because we bought it, you know, whatever. So you've basically inadvertently flipped a house. Yes. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So that came out, it could have gone worse, you know, which a lot of things for me could have gone worse. I mean, I could, I was basically drinking and driving all the time. Mm. Not only being drunk and driving, but actually having a bottle of vodka in my car under the seat behind me that I'm reaching back and drinking at stoplights and mm. down San Fernando, wherever I'm going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I also just, again, I'm just trying to empathize. Michael J. Fox comes to mind. Alec Baldwin also had a story. I forget where he told it on a podcast about having an in and out cup filled with ice, filled with white wine. 
Yeah. And he was at a, a red light and he was like, how long am I going to do this? I know. Like you have that voice that just goes, what are you doing? It's also not going to get better. I mean, I, for me, what, what saved my life is I got Lyme's disease or Lyme disease. or what, I don't know if it's plural. I don't know. Who knows? Too much, too much information. Lyme. I think it is Lyme's disease. Yeah. You, it's Lyme's. You're just borrowing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exactly. possessive Lyme's. Exactly. Yeah. You just rent it. I got that and, and that forced me to go to a doctor, which a doctor was Did you get it take tick? blood. Yeah. You have such high boots. In my forehead. Oh, no. Yeah. You know how I got Remember the movie Breaking Away? Mm-mm. It's a movie from the 80s. It's about a bicyclist that goes to... It's like it, t- it takes place in Bloomington. Uh-huh. Anyway. Great there, club. There's a, we all um, know Bloomington. Yep. You know I know Bloomington. I know Bloomington. Of the comedy attic. That movie's shot there and uh, breaking away. It's a great Daniel Stern, a young Daniel Stern, a young Dennis Quaid. Oh, wow. Um, but they swim in this um, like quarry. It's like a lime rock quarry that's in the middle of the forest. The word lime is in it. Yeah. Limestone quarry. And uh, I found it. I found the quarry that they filmed in, which is on a private property, which was like a mile and a half hike through woods with some local that had heard from a friend where it's at. And Were you and, working the comedy attic? Yeah. And you did this? Okay. And I got a tick there, and then the tick was found in Montreal, which I went from there to Montreal, and then somebody was like, "There's, it's in your forehead. It was right on my hairline. It had burrowed? Yeah. I hate the burrow stories. And it had gone just a little too, you know, if you get it within three days, supposedly you're fine. This was probably five to seven days. I took it out, then just didn't think about it. And then. You took it out? Yeah. Just popped Tweezers it. took it out. Gross. Yeah. It was dead? Uh, no, I don't think that. I don't think they're dead. I think. Gross. Yeah. No, I mean like. Gross. Yeah, it's horrible. And then, and then I didn't think about it. And then a month later. I had these bruises on my arms that I was wasn't the quite sure about. In play, be, that you didn't think about it, do you think? Probably, yeah. yeah. I was putting everything off because of drinking, dude. After my divorce, my ba- everybody knows this, but I had a psychosomatic pain in my balls. But I was drinking so much that I was just like, you can just live like with a constant ache in my balls. Yeah, like the most sensitive part of you. That there's times where you get overwhelmed, like it's cancer. I need to have it looked at. Exactly. But then you just push that away with booze. I wish it wasn't Cosby, but Cosby goes, I don't go to the doctor because if I don't go to the doctor, I can't have it. Yeah. Scandal noted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, <laughs> monster noted. But like, I don't ask because if I ask, that yeah, way I can't have that's it. That's right. And then drinking gets that into monster. that that delusion because I would drink... I also kind of liked it because it gave me a reason to drink. I thought I was drinking because I was in pain, and I liked that. Yeah. I also liked that I was depressed. Like, there's this weird Radiohead-esque romance. There is, until, it's, until, until you it's, see it's what's happening. That's exactly right. Which is a suicide mission, which it was for me, which so, was just... It was a... Su- yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. And the doctor had to check my blood and liver, and he was like, listen, you're dying, um... Really? It did, what did he really say? What were yeah, his words? You're dying. You're dying. Yeah. Your liver, the amount of enzymes in my liver were, I, I don't know the numbers and what it means. And I can't say that I remember exactly everything he said because I was drunk and which he confronted me on. I was going to say, were you drinking in the doctor's you the doctor, office? You were drunk of course. I was drunk all day. I was drinking. I'd wake up at two in the morning and drink, wake up at four in the morning and drink. I mean, all the time. My body was falling asleep from my, from my hips down all the time, which is like start when diabetes does start to. Wow, Nick. And um, he said something like you have like 364 
enzymes in your liver. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, what's the normal number? Six. So I don't know if that's exactly what he said. I don't know what the numbers are. And someone's probably going to tweet like, no, that's not normal. I don't know. Who cares? But um, he said, he said, you need help. Just mute him. Don't even give him the satisfaction (laughs) of a block. Just mute him. I don't don't mute block. I don't. That's just showing, hey. Oh, they don't know you muted him. That's a good point. I'm here. I should mute more. I mute. Everyone gets muted. Even if I can tell they're joking. Mute. And. I know. If, you Someone know, tweeted swing and a miss. I was like, mute. Yeah. You can't tweet that at me. Yeah. No, I'm doing this for don't free. Need to hear it. And the fear that you might be muted is people should know yeah. right now that are listening. Live with that. Live with that yeah, fear. Yeah, go ahead. Shoot me a snarky. You're muted. Yeah, you could if be I muted. If I see it, I don't look that Or way. followed back. <laughs> if it's good enough, right? <laughs> I love that. I love so that. yeah, I, I if it's good enough, <laughs> just start retweeting them. Yeah. Well, if it's if somebody's brilliant, then you're like, wait a second, this- wait a minute, they're speaking truth to power. They're not a jerk. Yeah, is this okay? Yeah, I'm stretching yeah. out. Get it out. We're getting codes. What do you think about this? I'm not worried about it. Okay, cool. The socks look fine. Yeah, this is this is. <laughs> yep, that's a photo. <laughs> <laughs> We're cozy friends. I um. Yeah, so I left the doctor's office that day, and he said, you know... He confronted you on being drunk, though. He said, you're drunk right yeah. now. He said, you're dying. What did you say when he said you're dying? I'm sorry to slow down the story. I just... I, you know, it's that thing... At the time, any information that wasn't something I wanted to hear, I just listened to and... Okay. Got Are it. you thinking, can I just get out of here and drink more? I'm thinking I'm going to get out of here and drink more. And he actually said to me... He goes, and I know you, Nick, and I know that you're going to leave here and you're going to drink more. Yeah. Wow. And he goes, and I don't want you to do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to get you. And he like wrote me this crazy subscript, like prescription, like list of like things that were going to help me get off alcohol. Mm. What were they? I know for a fact that it's kind of this Hail Mary that I had in my head. I knew there's rehab. Like I kind of knew as the deeper and deeper I went into alcohol and drugs, I knew there's rehab. Yeah. And I can do that. I've probably got one more chance at that and then I'll get my life back. You know, so the problem is there was a lot of people that go out it's like and have that in the thought. You don't always make it to that. That's right. You don't always get a chance to pull a parachute. I I'm only saying this to be helpful. I remember before Geraldo died, somebody saw him out. I forget who told me the story, but they saw him out and he and he was drinking and they're like, "You're drinking?" cuz he was pretty public about yeah. being sober and needing to be sober. And he was just like, just beer and wine, just beer and wine. So now we're back to crunching ice. Like yeah. you, you feel that sort of impotent feeling of like, I'm supposed, like your doctor probably felt and like your loved mm-hmm. ones probably felt. Oh, did your family know? People knew people around me were really starting to know. And my writing partner knew more than I knew. And also was taking action without me knowing really planning a little surprise party. Yeah. And not like planning on trying to get me help. And, him and I actually had. I meant an intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. trying to be funny. <laughs> but that's And then that's I repeated sweet. what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. in a way that made me worried that you didn't know what I meant. A little get together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was going to be an intervention because I think he would have known. I think it was just going to be a talk with him, but. Yeah. Which I would have taken very seriously, which I did. But I left the doctor's office and bought a bottle of vodka. And the doctor is like this. Lime specialist. He, he's in Malibu. There's a, like one in New York and one here that's like really, really good at this treating this because it's a thing that a lot of people are getting that a lot of doctors don't fully mm. grasp and know how to treat yet. And um, 
So I had to go to Malibu and I get out and I go park, you know, in like the camp, you're driving through a canyon from Malibu, like the one where Pepperdine is and you're yeah, going I know. Down. I knew before you said that, I was like, I know a canyon you're talking. It's the, the car commercial canyon. Yeah. It's where yeah. they film all the car commercials. It's beautiful. Yeah. I pulled over in one of those little side pullovers. Yeah. Got out and basically like started to walk into the canyon. Wow. With a bottle. And then I, I realized like, oh, the cops are going to come up my car. Like, cause in some ways there was a move there that I'm going to not, I'm not coming back to my car. Hmm. Um, I don't deserve my car. I don't deserve anything. You I'm were, just, it was a loathing time. It wasn't, it was a time of like death. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to just die. I'm just going to go down there. And then the thought, well, God, what if this doesn't happen? Then I got to go back to my car. There's a cop there at a DUI situation. So turn around, go back down, call Kevin, ranting, ranting, ranting. My, my Kevin Flynn, my writing partner. And, uh, and then I, I don't know what I said. I mean, I was drunk, but he basically said, Nick, you need to go to rehab and you need to do it right now. Mm. So I called Dave Becky. <laughs> And I just said, I'm dropping a pin. Take me away. I'm putting Isn't my hands Becky up. Becky sober? Yeah. I saw him recently. We had a really nice chat, actually. Yeah. And uh, I just said, just take me away. And Dave like knows a guy that owns a treatment center. And the next thing you know, I got checked in. I When I when they checked me in, I blew a .38. Um, and then two days in, they couldn't keep me alive. Into, into rehab, into, into treatment. Because, you know, they have nurses there and their job is to, like, comfortably help you get Mean. out of... Yeah. But the thing about alcohol and benzos are they... It, they're the two things that if you quit... I, I'm sorry, I don't know. What benzos are like Ativan or... or um, are you mixing this with Xanax? Anxiety? I, was, I was taking Xanax, but not that much. Yeah. Um, but those are the pills that you could die from detoxing from. Oh, that shit. and alcohol, the I only thought, two things. I also heard that you can die from mixing Xanax and alcohol. Well, you can die in the moment. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I'm talking about like the if, withdrawal. If you're drinking like I was drinking and you stop, you could just die from heart attack, from heart failure, from, you know, seizuring and like just so many things. And the same thing with benzos. Like, like heroin is going to be a bitch. It's going to suck. Right. You know, you're going to sweat it out. It's going to be brutal. I don't even know how to explain it. It sounds like it's the worst, but I can show you this montage it won't from the kill movie you. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it won't kill you though. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so 2 days in I was seeing I they found me naked in the backyard at like at some, the rehab? Yeah, like 2 in the morning or something and I'd I'd been seeing things. I'd saw a horse and was convinced that there was this dog back there and had been talking to things and and they were very concerned and they basically got to the point to where they had to rush me to an emergency room where mm. they called code. It was like four in the morning and the code, I guess, means that just anybody available, we need you. Wow. So I got dragged in naked in, into the emergency room and put down and I was, I woke up, I remember waking up one second. This, the only thing I remember is waking up and I didn't know what was happening or where I was. And a doctor said, Mr. Thune, you're okay. You're strapped down because you've been combative. We're trying to save your life. Out. Wow. Woke up like five days later. Still naked. In the hospital. <laughs> still that with that guy. Like a choice. Still tied down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still, it's that, that time is such a blur. But I wanted to get out of the hospital really quick because I thought the rehab was going to send me to like a, a locked, like a mental institute. 
mm. because I was crazy, but they know what I was going through. They knew that, that I was having these tremor, these DT, these like delusional tremors that people have when they're as addicted to alcohol as I was and they take it out. I mean, it just, your body is going to die and shut down and you need absolute care throughout all of it. Wow. And, and then just obviously like got into rehab and then I wasn't one of the people at rehab. Like I was annoyed by people that were like sulking in the corner. I'm like, Hey, this is our second chance. Everybody shut the fuck up. That's you. Yeah. Yeah, like respect it or just go back to your room. Like if you don't want to be here, if your parents are giving you like an opportunity, you know, because a lot of them are kids and yeah. But um, you're the grown up. I was ready. I was ready, and um, that has you know that that journey. So the fifty days in rehab and during rehab, they were letting me leave and do. I was getting treated kind of like a celebrity in it. Like I had like the big room and. The house actually burnt down in the midst of me being there. The, the Malibu fires. We, I was woken up at eight thirty in the morning with the with the fire, and then at nine thirty the house was burnt down. The house you were living in rehab. Yeah, in Malibu. Whoa. We went. Yeah, and we got moved around to a couple different houses after that. But it was just, it was insane. And um, but that's like again, like some people left rehab when it burnt down. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't you? My house burnt down. I'm just going to go drink again. You know. And wow. and for me, it was like, yeah, look at this. How I'm I'm not giving up. I'm sticking into this thing. Like, burnt down, great. Give me the new place. Let's just keep going. Good for you. And they were letting me do shows. So I was leaving rehab a couple nights a week and doing stand-up, which was so odd because I wasn't really telling anybody. But here I am You're living like, I'll, I'll this crazy life. Give me the horse at seven. Give me the horse. Oh. <laughs> it was a it was a risk. A good one. I it's knew you would like it. One. Give me the horse at seven. <laughs> Holy shit! Then yeah. Is. So yeah. they would let you do sets. Yeah, and because I, I knew like in okay. bars, someone came came with you. No, they just let you go to no, a, and then immediately test me when I get back. Uh-huh. And it's I'm an adult. If I decide to drink while I'm there, you know, but I earned their trust, and they knew that I was one of the people that really was you know serious. I started to write, um, I was going to write, because I did this Mexican tour last spring, where I did like six dates in Mexico, starting in Mexico City and going around. And I was kind of the first American to do this kind of a tour in Mexico. So people have gone down for a show, but this was like, and, and the promoters were like taking care of me. It was really great. And I wanted to write like a, a piece about it. What do you mean they were taking care of you? Like they loved that you they were just, doing it. They just, they wanted, they gave me anything out. They were just like, we want you to tell all the other Americans that this, how great this was. You and look like Cesar was. Chavez too. So it's kind of, <laughs> I know he's not Mexican, but there's something right about it. I don't yeah, know why. I felt right down there. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I started to write this thing that I wanted to post about touring in Mexico or, you know, have somebody put out somewhere. And, um, I realized that it was a lot bigger than me touring Mexico because here's how I ended up in Mexico. While I was in, so <laughs> I, you know, one night cut to me in, 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 uh, Montreal blacked out on cocaine, tick in your forehead, meet a couple Mexican gentlemen cut to me in rehab. I didn't know you could black out You're blackout on alcohol and on cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine's keeping me alive and moving around. Wow. <laughs> and, and I, um, and I, which is funny, like the places I got coke, I got it from like the guy, the person from the festival that was driving me around. I was like, "You want some coke?" Really? Yeah. He offered it to you. <laughs> people want that's the the problem is is that people want us to be it's the David their version thing. of comedian. It's when Atel stopped yeah. drinking, 
And, you know, he's the guy from Insomnia. Everyone's sending him shots. The guy that every comedy club loved because he would party with the staff. And, you know, I mean, everybody wants that still, but you can, anyway. I prefer the Brian Regan lore, which is it buy pizza for the staff. Yeah. I always like those stories. That's a nice, that's actually a pretty solid call. Isn't that good? Yeah. You can still be beloved. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, cut to me and rehab, wake up to one day I get an email from my agent, haven't spoken to him, doesn't even know I'm in rehab call my stand-up agent. He's like, hey, so uh, we just got an offer for that Mexican tour. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's Whoa. like, "That the tour in Mexico, I guess you met a couple of Mexican guys in Montreal. And and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, book it. And so you, you look at the down. horse and the horse goes, hmm. <laughs> and like that was kind of how like I was booking tours drunk. Wow. Doing, you know, but... So then Isn't I that one of the, Mexico? Th- that can be one of the the demons, the ways that alcohol slips up your butt. Isn't it? I think when you have like a, I was more social. I was talking to people, and I yep. booked a show. Of course, it's a that's. A, I'm, I I just want to interrupt and give hope and be like, that's a lie. You can still book that fun. You can show. still do all of that. You can still hang yeah. when when people and remember meeting them and remembering that you had booked. That's them. right, and, and the bonuses you remember it. Yeah, yeah. When they picked right. me up at the airport, it was I guess the same two guys, and I was like, hey, let's just be up front here. I was blackout. I don't remember meeting you guys, but it sounded like a fun tour. Wow. And they were like, yep, we know. Whoa, that's <laughs> how we do it. They were like, we were surprised you did it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you were on one. So they, you went over the details, agent follows up, you're in rehab, and then you did it. Yeah. I have to, in the story of Nick Thune, in the movie, mm. I've watched the scenes, the canyon, Flynn calling you for rehab, Becky, all these things are happening. Yeah. I'm getting nervous when you're going to those clubs. You, you did it, though. Yeah. Now someone says, let's go to Mexico. All respect to Mexico. Maybe it's all the Tijuana stories I have. I'm like... There's like a certain people go to Mexico to have fun. Yep. People I'm, go everywhere I, to have fun. That's true. But there's some, I, I guess. That's why I had If to your s- area has a, a liquor, yeah. <laughs> Mexico, like if we were playing Pyramid and I was trying to get you to say tequila and I said Mexico booze, you'd get it, right? Yeah. Or if I said Russia booze, you'd get vodka. I'm just nervous. I'm just yeah, letting no. you know I'm nervous. And I took, you know, like... For it me, already happened, but I'm For I'm me invested. going out to those clubs and for me going to Mexico, it took a support system of my sponsor. You know, because I'm an AA guy, I think it's the best way to stay sober. You know, I know other people have different beliefs and it's fine. Whatever works for you. It's great. Um, I, I set myself up for success. That's why I was doing the stand-up because I wanted to be in a place where they were going to check me and make sure I wasn't doing these things. And I was slowly getting back into this thing because I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew that it wasn't going to be easy to not have a drink before my shows or to not have a drink on stage or to not drink after drink after That's the concern too, is the times that I've been tempted to drink again, usually are going into a club and smelling it. You just smell whiskey. You don't even realize it's there when you're drinking, but you're like, this place smells like whiskey. And then the drug of doing stand up which I've never done cocaine, but I have to imagine is in the ballpark, the euphoria after a great set. And I have that part of my brain that goes, let's keep this going. Mm-hmm. And that's when I have to give myself a firm but loving no. That, that's also a concern. Was that it? Let me make concern, it a question. Was yeah. it a concern? That you're kind of doing, 
the legal drug of stand-up. And I don't know, yes. And But the thing is, is I never needed alcohol to do stand-up. I never needed any of these things to do stand-up. It was just something that I was doing alongside of it. So I immediately got on stage and was like, oh yeah, this is just me. This is what I do. That's beautiful. In fact, I'm actually better at it. You know, like I'm not holding myself back with like a, the you know. myth that you need talking full circle back to people. They're like, I want to try stand up. I've always wanted to try stand up. The first time I'm going to do it, I'll just get drunk. I'm like, that is the worst, the worst thing idea. you can do. Yeah. You have. Because you also need to feel the failure. That's right. You know, so like that. The That's thing the most about, valuable thing that could happen is to bomb. The thing about numbing all of the things is you're numbing the highlights and you're numbing the low lights. All the intel just gets smeared. It's like printed in ink and then it just left in the rain if you're drunk. And it's like that Towns Van Zant line. I know there's a lot of lines like it in different places but that you know there ain't no dark until something shines you know like and you're just a, in a bed of bones yeah oh wait that's a different town <laughs> different town bones in a bed you know but like if you don't feel that failure that's right you don't understand what light it's is the most i hate to sound so 40 and such a dad but i've been talking this way since i was 12 mm-hmm. that is so important that failure it's the most important thing it's in judy carter's book stand-up comedy the book which i i, I can't even say i recommend but i remember reading it because i don't remember it I remember reading it. It was like go up on stage and bomb, and it's like that's your that's your lesson. That well, it was your assignment for that week. It's actually part of my mantra since I left, <coughs> which is excuse me, pain. It if you don't embrace it and say I love pain, give me pain, then you're not ready for it. Hmm. And the thing is, is like, I mean, somebody told me the story of like this this running back, for instance, that was like. Not the fastest, not the best runner, not the you know quickest guy. But the first play of every game, they had it set up because he wanted to take the ball and run it into just that the team. Run it right down the middle. Don't, just get I'm not, I'm not going to get any yards here. I just want to get crushed. I want to run into pain because at that point, nothing else will be pain. Whereas every, all the other running backs were avoiding pain. They were trying to get away from these people that are tackling them. Yeah. Whereas he immediately established, I'm going to run into it. Mm. So give it to me. Mm. And then that puts some sort of a fear in them. They're not the chaser anymore. Now they're being ran at. Mm. You know, and and so for me in pain, you know, the only way out is through all these things that we hear and What's well, non resistance? It's a very profound spiritual yeah. idea. It's just saying, Oh, this hurts? Okay, cool, let's deal with it right now. That's right. Let's just take care of it right now. I've said it a million, it's in my book. Pain has no idea what to do if you say yes, thank you to it. Well, that's your way of sending the emails too. It's like, okay, this, it's like you sending an email to me and Dane. It's not like it was pain, but what it was, was, oh, there's a little niche here. It's like this thing. Let me just deal with that. Let me just get that out of the way. Go right into it. So while I'm doing it, I don't even think about it. Instead of what I used to do, quietly living with an unspoken anxiety that I don't even realize is in me until a year later, I'm in the clear. Like your brain is so good at shelving anxiety. And yeah. maybe not even remembering what it's about, but going, we'll hold on to that. And that's what most of therapy is, is going, the anxiety you felt as a child is no longer helping you. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what therapy is. <laughs> and the anxiety, the thing that's making you anxious all day long is is so curable in a moment. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Right? I had I'll to never do that yesterday. That running back. Tell me. My grandfather died. What? Yesterday. I know. What if I didn't know? I'm the worst. <laughs> what? <host>. What? <laughs> How do you die? In it's, his sleep? It's like when you're having a, a conversation with somebody or like you're with somebody all day in a car and then you tell them, you like refer to something and they're like, what do you mean? And you're like, oh, it. you didn't hear that one important line. Dude, I think that's one of the reasons I hate 
drunk people is not being listened to. Yeah. That time that, that I was with Dave Becky, right? Got on the plane. I was, it's not important who it was, but I was talking to a comedian and we were talking a lot about a specific show. Let's call let's say it was the clown show. It's the show where I yeah. dressed up like a clown. We talk about it for like an hour. We get on the plane. I know this person's drunk and they go, how was that clown show? And I go, dad. <laughs> <laughs> it like hurts me more than it should. Mm-hmm. And that's always a clue. If it hurts you more than it should, it's because you have baggage on it. Yep. And if you have baggage on, you have work to do. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm not safe. You have to talk to your child self. I'm still safe. I'm still okay. But some, I can't stand when. And that's why I don't like drunk, rowdy crowds. Because I'm like, guys, I, I lived in a drunk, rowdy crowd. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that rowdy. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need that at my work. Yeah. <laughs> Let's please be respectful. Yeah. It's funny how I just don't. Sobriety's also given me zero fear. Tell me everything, but finish that point you were making about your grandfather. Oh, so, okay. Gonna, I'll running, write down zero fear so you don't forget. Running into pain. Um, running into pain. So yesterday, my grandfather died. What? And, <laughs> well, he, you know, people pass away. And what does that mean? It's. <laughs> you explain windows to me. <laughs> oh. And uh, it's my mother's father. Mm-hmm. And I haven't spoken to my mother in a year and a half. Oh, wow. In fact, she's blocked on my phone, blocked all the way through everything. Can you give us a taste why? I mean, a lot of it had to do with my drinking and um, her and I just, it's been a a tough relationship my whole life. I'm the first of four, mm. kind of ripped her life out from under her when I got born, I think. And then she had her daughter like a year later, Irish twin kind of a thing and. And then twin boys five years later, and we were just all parents. Irish twin, regular twin. Irish twins, regular. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they were all parented differently. This is, you know, a common story with a lot of people. And you mean, but I I do have friends that feel that way where you're like, I was the child that fucked up your life, or that's how you might feel. Yeah. Or I'm the, let's not say fucked up, I disrupted your life. Yeah. And that's how you felt. So that's the beginning of the complication. <laughs> that's not something I realized until later in life, though. And I try to think about, like, what was it that about me drove her crazy? Hmm. And and then just kind of head to head our whole life, just bumping heads, like, forever. And then finally I just got a, a, a group of text messages from her that she called me unfunny. She said that she's never really enjoyed my humor, stuff like that. I know that. this is not a TV show. I just want people to know that I winced. Yeah. <laughs> like I involuntarily winced. And it was bringing so much pain and I was drinking a lot at the time as well. And I just thought this is just a thing I don't need in my life right now. Yeah. And so I blocked her Yeah, and haven't unblocked her. And in rehab, talked about it. And in therapy, all every week, talked about it, knowing here's a thing. Here's a thing that I need to deal with. And I've been avoiding it. And avoiding it and avoiding it. I wonder... And nothing more than somebody's parent dying to where you have to call. If I didn't call my oh, mom yesterday, yeah. then what a horrible... Jesus, Nick. Son. So, Jesus, comma, Nick. <laughs> so yesterday I, I realized I need to call, call her. And uh, I just did it. It took three minutes. Hmm. We didn't talk at all about us, what's happened, where we're going, you know, anything. It was just clean. Sorry about your dad. It's tough. Is there going to be a service? You're on your way down there now. That's great. Okay, okay, okay. Isn't it funny if we could see the subtitles? 
Sorry about your dad. Just hey, hey, mom. I know we haven't talked in a while. <laughs> well, you know, he was old. I love you, son. <laughs> so glad so that you sorry. called. That's what I see. I'm not disrespecting my family, but a lot of the times when I'm texting with my family, you have to read the subtext. You go, I love you. I'm proud of you. Yeah. My, dad, my dad does say, I love you. I'm proud of you. But sometimes you have to like kind of coerce it out of him. Yeah. In some ways that not even like coerce. the way that it comes out of my dad sometimes is, hey, have you heard back about that show yet? Yeah, dude, you're so and he's helpful. saying, I'm loving, I'm thinking about you, That's but right. I'm thinking, why are you reminding are you me about stressing a thing? me out? Yeah. That's right. Dude, fucking A, free podcast. <laughs> I can't believe this is free. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I can. But um, that's exactly when my dad, my dad always goes, how's the shit calm? Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it took me so long to realize he's not trying, you and I don't ask, hey, what's happening with that thing? Yeah. Because if it happens, you'll tell me. Yeah. And we know that there's so much anxiety when I say, even if you say, how, I just did that comics come home at the garden and that's 14,000 people, the biggest crowd by two that I've ever performed in front of. And everybody that I know that's close to me never was like, wow, that's a big crowd. Or how do you feel about that? But my father or my mother might say that. Yeah. And you have to go, let's, you take the Apple remote, turn subtitles on, yeah. and it just says, I love you. I'm thinking about you. That's crazy. You're per- we're so proud that you're performing in front of that many people. That's right. Yeah. And what comes out is, I must be, you must be nervous. And you're like, fuck, don't <laughs> but, say that. But you know, what, you know what you do, though, is that's a, that's a thing that over time, I always call it the, uh, the Christmas theory, which is I realized what day I get home for Christmas and what day I leave for Christmas. It took me... You know, I started doing that when I was 18. I moved out of the house, going back for Christmas, going back for Christmas. It took me forever to realize that the way that I'm going to enjoy it the most, the best that I'm going to be, is if I get in the night of the 23rd and I leave the night of the 26th. I was going to say, Nick, I didn't want to interrupt me. I said 23rd to 26th. And when my mom asks, why don't you come for longer? I say, that's how we do best. Yeah, That's, those are the best. Those days. are the best days for everybody. Yeah, I and you don't have to be. I, there was a time when I'd be petulant about it, and I'd be like, "Well, I've tried," and that's when we argue. I, or like, I can't go to legal seafoods that many times. Like it's yeah. fucking killing me. Whatever. You can also just say that's what's best. I think that's what's best. Yeah, it's, and that's okay. And, and it's okay. And but it took me, you know, twenty years to figure that out. Now I turned forty. This we're the same age. This month, yeah. I I just figured it out as well. And so that same that's the same thing with my dad. So I just sold a script and called my dad to tell him, which are my favorite phone calls because I get to tell him some news, yeah, you know. That's nice. And he goes, well, "How long have you been working on this?" And I go, "See, that's the that's what you're no noticing right now is that I learned mm. not to tell you when I'm working on something, mm-hmm. to tell you when I sell something." That's right. I learned that when I got my license, my driver's license. Is that like don't tell everybody you're going out for your license because if you don't get it, just tell them you got your license. <laughs> Yes. That's what I do now. Did you not get it? I did get it. Okay, good. And then I got to be like, I can parallel park on a hill. I can back around a corner, no props. <laughs> Without a rear camera. Kids. In a, in your parents' Suburban. In my parents' Volvo. Yeah. That shot black smoke at the back. Took that big boy out. <laughs> wow, that is impressive. Yeah, you should get a, a Class guy. M. Yeah. You should, get a, you should get a commercial. It was license. one of those steering wheels, too, that you could move like eight inches to either side. And, and nothing it just, would happen. It just, just, just feel where you're at. That's why people... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's why people in movies. So we're doing in life all the time. It's just like, oh God, where are the edges? That's right okay, hilarious. Good. That's what stand up is. Yeah. Which which part turns the car to abruptly? That's yep. what stand up is. That's mm-hmm. really really funny. Yeah. So you called your mom. And it was a three-minute call. Yeah, and it was, you know, I want to thank my grandfather for dying because... Shout out. It, it for Shout sure up. gave me the right reason to call my mom and also made it so that the call didn't have to be about us. Yeah. But also Christmas is coming up and it was like that thing, like, I want to go home for Christmas. I want my son to be there. But, you know, everyone around my family is like dancing around the fact that my mom and I just don't communicate, you mm-hmm. know? Well, I was wondering what part of that, even though it sounds cruel... Not cruel, you understand, to other people, not yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, at what point is, is that the appropriate self-love that you're giving yourself? Because, you, you know, I think some people hear, I blocked my mom, and you're like, people where I grew up, this is a quote yeah. from my cousin, you love your wife, I'm doing my father's voice, but it wasn't him, you love your wife, but your mom's always your number one girl. That's, that's Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a part of Boston in a nutshell. And that makes my dick go inside my body. Yep. And... There has to be... And that's a big dick. Big old dick. Oh, it's all the way... It touches my heart. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of... Ins- yeah. It touches my heart. Surprised there's that much room inside. <laughs> if I got an erection, you'd see it come out my mouth. Okay, come on. This is gross, <laughs> gross dick rips. Um, but what was I saying? It was sweet and it wasn't dick Oh, rips. your dad. I love my at mom. What, at what point do you go like, that's loving for me? Because I'm, I'm a big Eckhart Tolle guy and he talks about pain bodies and paid bodies are basically just the memories of pain that can basically possess a person. And a thing that a pain body loves to do is make other people angry and like kind of possess you with their pain and just hit it back and forth for a while. And when you identify, so something just to give you a practical example if I overreact about something, mm-hmm. Val will say, I think this is your, your pain body. And that sounds pretty woo-woo and strange, and maybe it is. But it helps me go like something else has taken the wheel. When that guy on the plane asked me about the clown show, and I feel myself wanting to like hide, yeah, I go, that's my pain body. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes people just become their pain bodies. It's like a possession. And this is what Eckhart Tolle is saying. That's what's happening in the Bible when somebody's possessed with a spirit or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just like a primitive or, or, or more primitive way to say their emotional and psychological and spiritual history has convinced their being that that's what they are. And then they just act that way and it's, it takes them over. It's kind of scary. But that's why you can snap out of it when you go, oh, I think this is my pain body. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about like my mom is your number one gal or whatever, I mean – I get that, but I I remember when I did it, I thought, okay, I'm being abrupt. I shouldn't be blocking my mom. But then I would show people the text, and they'd just be like, "Wow, that's right." That's my so much of my life is is people from the outside going like, "That seems a bit extreme." Nothing pleases me more. I love my family, and they're kooks. And so many people are just like, "Why don't you just try this or this or this?" And they give me what I and I would say this if my mother, father, and brother were in the room, and they would laugh because they know I go. We're not people. Like, I know you think we're people. Yeah. You're giving me advice for people. We're not people. And then when they meet my family and they'll enjoy them and they'll love them, they're not like crazies or, or crazy sounds derogatory. I just mean they're not like unreasonably, they're fun. They're mm-hmm. good. They're good folks. But they'll also go, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And that means a lot. And that's what therapy is too, is a professional going, I get it. Yeah. But we can also give that gift to our friends with kooky families for free yes, and just go, Nick, I get it. That's what I'm trying to say to you is there's a self love 
and there's a limit where you go, this is just, there's other ways to block your parents too, because at one point, and I've said this a million, but I'll say it a million more because it's very important to me. Being an artist in this, uh, with family Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I just said, mom, what I make isn't for you. It would be weird if it was for you. And all you can say is you love it. Yeah. That's all you can say. I mean, this is, you know, this isn't a text form and my mom probably didn't realize what she was saying, but when my comedy central presents came out in like 2007 or something, I don't even know, but like Mm -hmm. the day before she said, I told all the women in my, um, Nick, what's that? What's that workout class? Small group. Oh, no, the curves curves. I told all the women in curves about it. They're all going to watch. And then the first phone call after is I'm having trouble with the curve. This, my first joke's a masturbation joke. Of course. In it. And, it is a curve. And uh, she was she basically was like, I'm not going to be able to go back to that curves class now. Yeah. Um, like, why? Because your son's so unfunny? Dude, you're talking right <laughs> to my heart right now. The, so I'm doing that show at the Garden. It was a big thing. And I was like, we're inviting... My, I think my dad asked for 30 tickets. Mm-hmm. And I just said, lovingly, I'm trying to be loving and patient. I was just like... I know all your friends are your church friends and it's me, Bill Burr, Bobby Kelly, Dennis Leary. This is not a church show show. Yeah. And you know what? It wasn't. And you know what? They got six tickets and you know what? That's the right move. When I wrote my book, my mom said, I can't wait to give it to the pastor. And I was like, it's not for the pastor and that's okay. Like it doesn't have to, like I appreciate, but turn subtitles on. I guess we love you. We're proud of you. And that's what we need to take from that. But then there's also that loving boundary of like, I don't need the the pastor of missions coming to my show where my opening joke, it might be about my dick. Yeah. And it would be weird. And that's why you want to be like, just tell them about the show if they want to come. But also the people that <laughs> let them buy tickets. Those women in your curves class, if they were in an audience at my show, they would love it. That's right. Like it's not they, just they're a wearing different hats. Joke. Yeah, they're not wearing the joke hats. They're wearing mm-hmm. that's blah blah Thun's son. Yeah. Oh boy. And they're not even seeing the masturbation thing and thinking gross. They're thinking, wow, it's so cool that so and so's son is on TV. Maybe I think my people are really going. I don't know about that dick joke. Yeah. Yeah. But my dad was like, "Don't forget your appeal is that you're wholesome," and I in that moment was like, I haven't been wholesome for 20 years. Yeah. Like, and, and I, I had a big, it was again, like your grandfather dying gave you this loving moment with your mother that, um, just sort of maybe understandable slight from my father led to a really good talk with my brother where he was like, they have a really hard time seeing us as grown ups. But you know, the wholesome thing though, I wouldn't say that you're not, I mean, I, well, that's what I appreciate. I, I, what I think that still comes out of you because that is your, it's like when you work out at a certain age that your body is going to kind of be good for, you know, like if you, like people say, if you work out in your twenties that you're going to have a decent body, like <laughs> for most of your life, you know, if yeah. you just kind of eat right and do it in your twenties. Yeah. And if you're wholesome the way that you were, that's still the underlying you, this, this guy it. that is still looking for the best that has the best intentions. It's never out to get anybody. That's really sweet. You know? And, and so that comes through in your stand-up and your, even your voice, really. I got two nice chats out of that comment from my dad. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That, that is sort of 
that's the milk I'm trying to get at the hardware store. I don't know if my father's ever going to say that, like no yeah. matter what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's why I called the special dirty clean, was that even though I'm dirty, people think I'm clean. Uh, but I don't know. That might be, I should be going Osteen with my dad, not Terrence McKenna. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because when you talk about dirty things, you talk about it as if a clean person's. <laughs> I get that too. And if my yeah. dad was like, you know, we could do this all day, but sometimes it's fun. If my dad was like, don't forget, Peter, no matter what you say up there, that golden boy that I've always loved shines through, and I see it in you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do that with Val. We laugh so hard. I just do texts from my dad, what I wish he would say. Oh. That. Well, that's what I did, actually, with, with my mom. I um, A couple months ago, I wrote a letter from her to me saying everything I wish she would say to me. Karate kicks. And didn't ever obviously send it to her. It's just, you know, it's in my Google Docs. Yeah, I believe in that. I'm not going to share it with her. That's great. And it was very therapeutic. I mean, it it, it was like, okay, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. I want to hear, you know, my relationship <laughs> with women and how she built that. And, you know, all That's these right. things. It's great. It is great. Yeah. And our psyches are so impressionable that... I believe that stuff works. I've done something not exactly the same and it wasn't with family, but like you can write out, I forgive you. And then a name Uh and I forget the number, but it was like something like 140 times. I just wrote it out and I was like, this is stupid, but around 90, yeah, you really start to feel yourself putting it. Well, at some point you think, what does forgiveness mean? You know, as you're writing, forgive over and over again. And you're like, you know, you're, it's just, is it close to fire as blaze? <laughs> <laughs> that thing's blazing. But dude, to finish your point, right? I mean, it gets into you because you're meditating on it, basically. Yeah. And when you write a letter, you're meditating. To be able to give yourself the love that you wish other people, like you wish you could script it, but you mm-hmm. can't, but you can give it to yourself. Well, and if you're walking around thinking, I want to forgive somebody... What does that mean? Yeah. What would that take from me? What would I be giving up? What ego is it going to cost? What identity? Does exactly. it matter? Yeah. Does, what would it be like if I said that and then afterwards we're just fine? That's right. Well, who would you be if you let down not only your resentment, but all of your stuff? That's, that's yeah. another big Eckhart Tolle thing is like these hangups and these arguments that we're having in our brains mm-hmm. and also our irrational anxieties and fears aren't just misfirings of our brains. They're actually, he would say, the persistence of your ego to show that it exists. Because when it goes away, and we've all had those moments, maybe they're the small moments in the morning, maybe they've come through other means, music, sex, uh, whatever. Um, That stuff wasn't there, and yet you still were. Yeah, you know what I, you know what just you know what just hit me was the guy coming up to me after a show saying he thought of a different ending mm. is my dad texting me. That's a guy that saw something that I did and said I liked it. Mm. I liked it so much that I had other thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. And here I am, like, no, that's right. <laughs> you can't do that. Isn't that you lovely? know like the same way that I react to my dad when he asked me a question and it's like, Dad, don't right. like. I sold the show. Oh, when do you get the money? That's not the question. That's right. not. That's not the right time to ask that See, question, that, Dad. I, 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 we're going to script. 
Is it going to be on Netflix? I, I I hear you and like yeah, it's and and they're growing. They're getting better. He and he even caught himself. He's like, oh, it's probably not at that point yet. <laughs> I was like, wow, it Shobiz, is. Dad, I'll meet you at the Palm. I would love to see all of our parents' perception of Shobiz. <laughs> <laughs> Like they have story oh, pirates. Like uh, you, you act yeah. out stories written by children. We should do an entourage, but it's just show business as imagined by our as parents. Your mom and dad. You do the show, and Frank Sinatra Jr. is there, and he says, "Open for me in Vegas." <laughs> <laughs> He's not entirely wrong, but it's also like the the thing of like pre audition. You know, like yes, maybe you want to be alone. Maybe you don't want to talk. But also, maybe you're thinking about masturbating, and you're doing things like you know obsessing over your pants yeah you don't want anyone to see that you want like i want my parents perception to, to be, be what they think it oh is. nick is in his head he's preparing oh, my the, mom sees me in a corvette i don't own going down mm-hmm. the pch no matter where i'm going yeah swinging into an audition taking off my sunglasses white linen shirt. and everyone's like pete's here Woo! yeah yeah she actually told me that was one of the weird things where I had to tell her mom, I think this is inappropriate, but she was like, I had a dream about you. And it was like, you were wearing designer jeans. And it was basically like her, her entourage. Yeah. And looking back now, I can be like, that was just her trying to love me. But at the time I was like, you're crossing my boundaries, which was the right thing to say at the time. Mm -hmm. And now I think we can just keep those dreams to ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. I think safe to say, I think everybody can just kind of keep dreams to themselves. (laughs) But dude, what you're realizing about the person, any this is Eckhart Tolle, anytime you're overreacting, that's a clue that there's that there's, you know, an iceberg under there. That it rubs something. Yeah. And yeah. what it what it's rubbing can usually be solved, in my experience, by speaking directly to your inner child mm-hmm. and saying, You are still safe, you're okay, you're good. I have this talking about drinking, so I, I haven't it's been a, almost two years now. I don't know if that's true. It's been almost two years that I, I stopped drinking. And I was thinking about how a big part of it was to parent Leela and be sober. Because I hate seeing drunk people with kids. And kids are picking up everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just have this vivid memory of this red-lipped man, because he was drinking wine, going up to this kid. And, you know, hey, you know, karate? And I was like, this kid sees – he's recording everything. His, yeah. his, his hard drive is empty. So he can save this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's the feeling of <laughs> scary childhood. And I was like, I thought I was doing it for Leela. And then I was like, I'm also reparenting parts of my own inner child. And I want my inner child's current parent, me, to be sober. Yeah. It's a really lovely gift you can give mm-hmm. other people, but you're giving it to yourself. It's like, I would like him to have the faculty to say to me in a, in a, a believable way, it's okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can drive you. Anywhere, because I'm fine. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. And I can think clearly, and I can listen to you. And also, I'm not going to like say dumb shit. That's right. When I was drunk, <laughs> I would talk to myself so much, Oh, and, and s- the shit that I would say was not helpful. Yeah. I thought it was. I was like, this is good. I'm like getting the anger out. I'm like, Well, people that can drink right don't have those issues. Captain Morgan, mm-hmm. he's fine. <laughs> he's got it. He's out there finding booty. But when I see people that can have a drink and it's fine and they do, you know, that's great, man. I wish yeah. that that was me. And I'm not saying that's not you. I'm just saying. I'm saying it's not me. Yeah. You can hold me to that. Okay. Yeah. But I'm, Val will go out. She'll have a glass of wine. She won't even finish it. And I'm just like. Yep. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> I, yeah. Why wouldn't you take. But that's 
That's the addict brain. Yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that. And my, my opener right now, Lara Bites, she's wonderful and brilliant. And she's helped me with a lot of that stuff. It's like mm-hmm. eating when you're full. I was like, right. It's a, it's a thing. It's yeah. the addict brain. It's like, yeah, I'm going to finish this pizza. It's the same thing. It's just ringing different bells. Oh. And then the more subtle addictions are, are you addicted to your identity? Are you addicted to your thoughts? Are you addicted to power is a big one that you have to like, that I, we all have to look at. Well, and the overwhelming thought, of, you're never going to be able to peel back all of that. You know, like maybe, I don't know, maybe there is a way, but. But again, okay, so back to Christian optimism. I, mm-hmm. I don't identify as, as a Christian. I love Christ, but I'm not identify as a Christian. But like. There are moments, and like you said just a moment ago, you can break these patterns in a moment. It's like if we just drop it now, like as I'm talking to you now, I'm not Mm -hmm. feeling an addict. I'm not feeling unloved in this way or that way or that way. You know what I'm saying? It's like maybe you can only be free for five minutes of a 20-minute meditation. You actually like kind of detach from yourself. Yeah. But those gaps, this is my optimism get longer. And those are the conversations Val and I have where we're just like the times I'll get real spiritual. I'll be learning. I'll be studying. I'll be meditating, whatever it is. And then it's just normal. It just comes. Suddenly I go, I'm not into it anymore. I I still have it, but I I don't want to feed it and I'm not reading and I'm not learning. Also being aware of that though. So that's it. Me being at the grocery store lost, being triggered, lost, you know, you know how we all remember that <laughs> being being lost or being in a grocery store and being triggered by I saw somebody I ran into somebody I whatever whatever however I'm feeling yep remembering that you can just take a moment there and I you know this guy taught me how to meditate just in moments like that where it's like stopping in a grocery store and just thinking oh there's music oh okay that's right let me hear the music for a sec all right what if I just heard the baseline. Can I ju- can I peel back all the music to just the baseline? Mm-hmm. And as I'm doing that, I'm totally wiping all that other shit. That's clean. what I'm saying. The story of Nick and the story of Pete will never. I'm saying this not pessimistically. Will never be free of my neuroses and my yeah. addictive thing and this whatever. But there are these gaps where you're free. And what I'm saying is the times where I'm not into it are shorter. And the times when I'm into it get longer. And that's what all the, the masters that I've studied are saying. That's what it is. It mm-hmm. slowly gets more, more, more until, you know, ideally you're just there. I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen. I don't, I don't know. But I do know that if we can just stop. Hey, what's that sound? Hey, everybody, look what's <laughs> going down. down. Just the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that you say that about the baseline thing. I've also heard focusing on the air that's between us. Yeah. That's another one. Or just saying, like, if you're outside, just saying, okay, there's wind. Mm-hmm. Just feel that wind on your left earlobe. That's right. And just for a moment, like... This is how I meditate with my baby. And then you f- you feel <laughs> the wind. That's right. I'll I'll just rub... Not rub. I'll, like, run... Like the, the New York Marathon. The new, I'll run the New York Marathon, <laughs> and then I'm not thinking about anything. I, it's not a credit card, but I can't think of a good example. But like a credit card, something firm, and I'll just kind of run it down her arm, and I see her in that moment just thinking about how that feels. Like she literally gets hypnotized. She's just like, mm-hmm. really slowly. We're both meditating. 
I'm yeah. teaching my daughter to meditate without doing it, mm-hmm. without mantras or folded legs or anything. But it's just like, just this, just this. And that's what, sorry, I'm being Eckhart uh, Tolle heavy today. But he's like, when you don't look at something as a means to an end, every night when I brush my teeth, I go, don't look at it as a means to an end. The day? At the end of the day. <laughs> no, but like, what, what do you mean a means to the end? Like, If you look at, I brush my teeth because it's a means to an end. I need to have clean teeth. Mm-hmm. You just do it and you hate it and it's rote and it sucks. I, I hate brushing my teeth more than anybody I know. Yeah. Except maybe Val. We both hate it. It's just ugh, this fucking thing I have to do. Mm-hmm. But if you really lock into just the baseline or the birds or the wind and you just watch a thing of toothpaste going onto the brush and you trip out on that <laughs> and you feel it on just the teeth you're putting it on and you smell the spearmint and you feel the warm water and you and you, you it'll be over before you know it because you're not just doing it to be done with it but this is the key to everything warm water i like the warm water you brush your teeth with warm water well i don't let it warm up <laughs> yeah i'll go hot really when i'm rinsing are you serious yeah you do cold yeah i guess i, love I like some fresh more. coldy my mouth is warm i like to do a sink drink too you know like oh sink drink i'll get down in there and drink a lot of you know that. what i hate in a movie when someone's brushing their teeth and they're talking i'm like stop it and yeah. they're gonna like swallow some they're like well that's why we need to talk about joan i know I'm it's like, movie fucking stop it it's fake movie it's shit. movie eating too oh movie my gosh eating. i cannot stand movie eating with you yeah i have a hard time watching people eat What's well, a gross thing? Yeah. I'm going to mash Most this stuff up. Most people don't do it well. And to Seinfeld's point, old people are worse at it. Uh-huh. It's like you'd think they'd be better. They've had the most practice. <laughs> but they're always like, nom, 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 oh, nom. wow. What's this on my finger? Yeah. Dude, we went to brunch in this neighborhood the other day. I watched a man eating refried beans off a plate. He picked up the plate and licked it. Oh. He God. was on a date. Yeah. And it was not a first date. That's a 500th date if you're picking up the yeah. plate and licking it. And I just was like, I think as I get older, I, I say to Val all the time, I always use the word haunted. I go, I had this conversation with this guy and I've been haunted since. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like parties or talking to too many people. Mm-hmm. Because who I am talking to, like that kid with the red-lipped man, I'm remembering it. Yeah, And I'll play it and I'll think about them. And it stays with me. Mm-hmm. And I think about that motherfucker licking that plate. And I will until the day I die. And what, you know, what could, <laughs> what, what could we give that guy as, um, how could we give him a good out with that? Rather than like he's disgusting, doesn't have manners. Yeah. Why else would he have licked the plate? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think there's anything good. I think the only save for this guy is to say he is like an alien visiting Earth. <laughs> and yeah. everything is so like a child mm-hmm. everything's so fascinating and beautiful and there's some beans on his plate and he wants them and it's beautiful that he's saying etiquette be damned or he, or if he's in the middle of a story and he's like can you believe it the guy fucking did this and he goes and licks his plate and he's like have you seen that before i forget it was an open micer so i'm going to do this bit in norway it was an open micer and he said i heard an argument on the new york subway and i got really scared and then i realized they were reenacting an argument <laughs> 
was at Parkside Lounge. <laughs> See, that's my point is the reels are running. That's yeah. why mm-hmm. I need to get more in touch with how afraid I can be, how nervous I can be, and how overwhelmed I am. No matter how tall and loud and confident or whatever I seem, yeah. there's still these other programs running where I'm like, I'm troubled by hum- – humanity can be overwhelming to me. Of course, I love going on retreats where people are like, you want to sit silently? I'm like, sounds fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I made it about me. I love sitting silently. What are these things that you have here? These? This is uh, – I saw you put in dip. This is nicotine toothpick. Oh, okay. Sometimes I chew on a nicotine toothpick. Mm. Somebody says that it focuses you. Yeah, nicotine people, does. People with ADD. Well, mm-hmm. it's a nootropic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It helps me when I'm writing. <laughs> I mean, I basically quit smoking. Good for you. And now I'm chewing. But you should you should try something like this. I'm always but trying to get I the do, tobacco. These people. are nicotine little pouches. Yeah, they're not. Um, it's not tobacco. Not tobacco. Oh, it's snuff. Yeah, which is huge in Norway. Norway. No shit. Which so am I. <laughs> I'm not crazy about nicotine, but speaking about addiction, like it, I find it helpful to have something that's a, it's, I've done a lot of research. It was Dak Shepard that was like, it's not bad. He sent me all these articles. He was like, it actually combats Alzheimer's and all that stuff. I'm not convinced that it's great for you. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, but I'm sort of like, my brain wants to do something that's in the ballpark of naughty. But it could be, it could be not good for your heart if you have a heart condition. I think it's the same as caffeine. I've yeah. done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think people should like run out to it. But for me, having something that I can put in my mouth when I'm writing a script that kind of gives me a little juice, uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. It's not something – I don't know if I'll be doing it in – well, <laughs> the science is in. I probably will be doing it in a year, but <laughs> I don't know. That's that's a good way to do it though, because it's not like, because you could be doing a nicotine vape, right? Vapes are fucked, and also the gum, like a piece of Nicorette, has like five toothpicks in it, and I'm doing like a toothpick oh, yeah. or two a day. And you eat the toothpick all the way I down. Eat it, I swallow it, and it comes out my dick. Is that normal? Mm, must have gone down the wrong pipe. <laughs> what if you had you had the windpipe, the stomach pipe, and then there's just this, that's the urethra that's pipe. That's your peepee. I wonder if the first person that said been, Eureka was trying to say Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to write a joke about that where I swallowed something and my explanation to why I was coughing, I'd say to somebody, it went down the wrong pipe. And they're like, well, how many pipes do you have? I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't know, just probably two. Yeah. And then one of them's wrong. Yeah. And he's like, yep, it's a big wrong one. And so you think one's pee, one's poo? Like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and what I remember... In health class, they were like, why doesn't, why can't you pee when you're having sex? That was a big question for us. Mm. What if you have to pee? And they were like, well, there's two things and two systems and one shuts down. And I was like, okay, I kind of get it. What if the teacher goes, actually, guys, you can. And some people love it. And that's what I'm into. <laughs> Old Gary Golden Shower. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad I'm not into You ever give thanks that you're not into that? There was a, I don't want to buy rubber sheets. A childhood memory of, you know, the game Outburst, where you get like you get like a, a, a term like golden. And then you have one minute to be like golden gate bridge. And if you say the things that are on the list, you, you get like a certain amount of points if you get the right goldens. Uh-huh. And I remember one year we were playing and <laughs> 
and the my whole family and like right when the alarm goes off like it beeps you know and it's done my mom goes golden shower oh my god and my brothers who were really young like everyone laughed but my brothers were so young and didn't understand what it was and so they just kept saying golden shower because they thought oh this is a funny thing to say everybody loves it where i'm like no our mom knows what golden showers are nobody wants that no nobody that's what the kids are doing these days peeing on each other oh yeah are they they're doing all that well because of porn addicts yeah novelty addicts yeah i've been off porn too that's good it's helped my life immeasurably yeah i realized that when i was looking at people i was like immediately it was just so normal to just have like immediately have sex thoughts about them and i was like is that the right way to look at my fellow humanity you do you think because of porn i think so i th- and it was also just like i could i yeah i never really thought about it that way i i because sometimes you just see people and you're like oh god they're beautiful for sure. And that still happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but yeah. like it just sort of sexualized everything, but it, it's more like it turns the object of your arousal into something that's just in your service. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the novelty thing about that where you're just like, you always need something more and more extreme. Yeah. Go down next thing you know, you're looking at, but I mean, dude, we're talking about people that write letters from their mother to themselves. Don't you like, don't people see mm-hmm. how impressionable and I don't want to say how stupid we are, but impressionable is the right word. So, of course, if you're – I had a comedian friend of mine. He was like, I, you know, it's, I, I look at porn one, once or twice a day. And I was like, anything you're doing once or twice a day, forget about the messages. You're, I don't want to preach on this. This is stupid. Yeah, anything that you're doing, but you're, that's two times a day you're choosing to do something. That's right. Yeah. And you're getting a lot of fucking info. On that, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to watch John Wick every day. I enjoy that sort of stuff, but like, I don't want to. I don't want to look at you and think of how many headshots. Well, think about this too. Like, if somebody shots. sees a woman at the store and they think, "Oh, that woman at the grocery store is beautiful," and they go home and they search porn. Woman, I saw at grocery store. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's hot, and then they can watch that that play out. But that's going to happen. I mean, facial mapping—that's the future. Of porn. Or but they'll be able to see the situation. I mean, like, oh. there's going to be a porn that is that situation. Uh, yeah, and they're living their life vicariously through. Well, there's there's also just like get your needs met in reality, yeah, and allow yourself to have the pain of of not of of just being horny and being like I'm horny instead of looking at it like I'm horny, I jerk off. I'm hungry, I eat. Like let's, I said this to Jim Norton on his show. I was like, there's something lovely about going like I'm horny, and allowing yourself to be in a vulnerable position and waiting for that to be met in a real world situation. Cause that can be really lovely. And then it'll actually be better because of it. Of course. However, and I'm know. not off jerking it and the jerking is better going off the yeah. brain. Oh, you're going straight brain, straight brain, straight yeah. brain. And actually trying to actually just feel what it feels like to jerk it. I'm not trying to be gross here. I'm just like, just enjoy this. You don't have to be like, you know, kids with the four screens of different, it, it, it's a, it's a, Oh, it's going to be brutal. We're fucked. Yeah. We're fucked. Yeah. For more than just that, but sexually, yeah, our kids are fucked. No, I saw a great movie about it where there was a kid at a high schooler. I forget what it was. Sandler's in it. And he was trying to wean himself off porn because he couldn't have sex with his girlfriend. And one of the exercises was to put a photo of his girlfriend's head on his pillow and have sex with a football to try to practice Imagine just being with one person who's not putting anal beads in with yeah. a goat mm-hmm. in the room. This football? You have to just go like, that's all it is? But yeah. like, we are, 
And talk about the wiring of when you're young, you're wiring yourself to expect a certain level of stimulation in order to like climax. It's like, then you have sex and you're like, where's the insert dirty thing? here? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've learned a lot from porn, you know, (laughs) that's what, that's what kids say when they, they're like, Oh no, I'm learning. I'm learning how to, well, Neil Brennan has that bit and I'm like, come, I don't know, man. I don't know about the coming in the face. I think it's just a bit about like, it's the only thing we have to learn. And I'm like, I, I, I guess maybe, but I don't wait, know. Wait, the only thing we have to learn, what do you mean? Porn is the only tool we have to like learn about sex. And I'm like, oh. how about exploring with a partner yeah. in a safe and fun way? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. don't know. I don't want to sound too anti-porn because just like people that stop eating meat, start preaching about not eating meat. I'm just saying for me personally, after 40 years of good porn use, so let's acknowledge that. Not 40, but 20 I'm enjoying being off it. I'm enjoying being in reality. It's the same thing as booze. I don't want to smoke weed. I don't want to get drunk. I and I don't want to look at porn. It's because I'd like to just run. I'd like to play out reality. Well, <laughs> also reality is is if I don't look at porn, I feel better. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And if I'm not hungover or if I'm not cloudy from weed, I feel I feel better. I also want to give a shout out to people whose lives they feel like reality isn't their friend, and mm-hmm. I hear that. And mm-hmm. I felt that way too. So please don't feel judged. I'm just saying, if you're on the fence and you'd like to give it a try, it's uh, it's working for me. Yeah, because I never like after you know a straight porn session when, which happens sometimes where you can't find anything that excites you. Yeah, I know. Or you do early and then it kind of fades off because you're looking for the next thing. That's right. You don't. That never feels good. No, I had a bit about it where I was like I was jerking off to porn and as I came I went not worth it. I said it out loud. The only time that. <laughs> Not as you were coming. Not worth it. I ejaculate. The only time that's I think worth jerking off is when you're in transition. So like, if you're actually accomplishing something while you're doing it, like flying, you're going from so that all that time in the air is just like borrowed time. It's like ah, you're already you're accomplishing getting across. The that's country. why they call it a cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you done it on a plane, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want when anybody sees you on a plane to be like, he said that he does that on planes. I have you? <laughs> I've come close in the car and I never I didn't do it because yeah. I was like, what am I gonna I always had a funny scene for a movie in my mind, but it's too weird. Like while you were driving or just like pull over and Yeah, just driving late at night or whatever. And I'm like, you're jerk let's say you do jerk off in your pants. Because you're an animal. Mm-hmm. Then you get a car accident and there's just a huge cum stain on the front of your pants. <laughs> I always thought that would be a funny scene in a movie. Yeah. But I've never done it because, thankfully, you have, like you, going into the canyon. I'm not trying to be funny. You go, I'm going to come back. If, if I come back, the DUI, all these things. You have that voice that goes like, what am I? You know, that's what wisdom is or that's what maturity is. Is I go, I know I'm blindingly horny right now, which is yeah. usually ang- anxiety. Your brain doesn't want you to think about something. So it's like, here's some jiggling asses. And you're like, thanks, brain. And then your dick is like, I have, I have something to offer. And you're like, get out of here. But the voice in your head goes, I don't, I don't want to feel that feeling of going in the house and like changing pants. I'm, I'm 40 oh, yeah. years old. And you're just like, I jizzed in my pants. Also, when I am, when it does happen, when I do have sex, I, I don't want it to be like not as good yeah. because I'd done this. Dude, let's just 
say Val's noticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm just more present. Like when I see her body, I haven't seen a body. Yeah. There's some, and you know what else is fucking weird? We went and saw a theater in New York and anything that's like a little bit scintillating or like, you know, like <laughs> we didn't see Chicago, but remember how like Chicago is supposed to be like a little naughty for the, for the men. Yeah. <laughs> like legs or something that never did anything for me. And now when you're in reality and you're attuned and, and you're present and you're not just constantly jerking it, even though you're like 3% horny and you just watch like some orgy video and blast it. When you go to the theater, you're like, oh, this, this is a little, this is a little titillating yeah. or a movie. You feel the sexual tension in a movie, but you fr- fuck all that. When I see Val naked, you're just like, holy shit, a naked person. Yeah. As opposed to one of 75 naked people I've seen today. <laughs> this one's three dimensional. Comparing. Yeah, it's true. It sucks. Online dating, same thing. Novelty addicts, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's advertising, it's addiction, it's it's yeah, booze, the, it's porn, it's sex, it's everything. The online dating thing for me just feels like it takes everything cool out of dating. That's right. That's what we're saying. Porn is sort of like the online dating of, of sex. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But I, I know some people have had great success with online dating. I just went to an online dating wedding. It was awesome. And I know those apps keep telling you, hey, I know you're married, but seven people just looked at your profile. And it's like, they know what they're doing. It's not just Facebook, folks. You they, know what I'm saying? What do you mean? that Every, they, they, they still have the app when they're married? I think uh, it, it still has your email. And even mm. if you like maybe even delete the app, it'll still occasionally email you and be like, hey, you got 40 winks this year. And then oh, wow. suddenly your husband not doing the dishes. You know what I'm saying? It turns everybody into a celebrity. And we mm-hmm. all know how celebrity ma- marriages go. They're, they're terrible. But like, it, that's because celebrities typically used to have all these options because people mm-hmm. want to have sex with celebrities. But it's like, now everybody's a celebrity on Facebook and then on online dating. And everybody's like, hey, now everybody has to deal with the nuance of 40 people winking at you, cyber winking at you. No, when you're trying to DMs. Be Fuck it. We're fucked. We're not fucked. I mean, that's all that people do now. Is that I think also what I've heard is a lot of people on dating apps will see somebody on a dating app and then DM them on Instagram. Yeah. Like, so that way it doesn't feel so dating appy. That's hilarious. Yeah. Instagram knows. But, you know, there, I don't know if this is actually true or not. I'm just going to say this as a thought. If somebody's... Online dating is easy. You match, you get, and you get to meet a person somewhere, right? The other way around is you need to build up the confidence in yourself to go up to somebody and ask them, which means that you're ready to date them, Mm -hmm. which means that you are in a place of self-loving enough to walk up and think you're worth it Mm -hmm. and that you've got a chance with this person. Mm -hmm. Whereas the dating app takes a bit of that away. For sure. So are the people that you're meeting even ready to date? Or do they just say like... Oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, what's the easiest way to do it? Because I'm not like ready to actually go out there and exert myself and put myself out there and, and go through these pains that I'm dealing with right now and find a place of happiness to date someone. Yeah. I always thought that it existed more for the people that just never wanted or were interested necessarily in doing that. Because the wedding that I was just at, I was like, these two people are two very special pearls of people. And I didn't see them as like, hey, I'm in a bar and I'm bored or I'm at a party and you look cute. It's weird. We were sort of going – the old model, I've been so fascinated with uh, uh, ovulation and uh, the male equivalent or just whenever a a male is feeling sort of fertile. 
that's when people tend to meet each other. Yeah. It's super weird. I did the stand-up show with um, with Shane Moss. He's always blowing my mind. And this this guy, I, I've said this on the pod before. I'll keep it brief. He played audio of a girl saying, they didn't tell her what the experiment was, saying her name and where she was from. She mm-hmm. just had to call this number and say her name and where she was from. And when she was ovulating, so when she'd call, when she wasn't ovulating, she'd be like, Hi, it's Trish. I live in the Farron dorm. And then when she was ovulating, she was like, Hi, I'm Trish. I live in the Farron dorm. It was yeah. like crazy. There was all these like mm-hmm. qualities in her voice. And I was like, that's insane. When we go to parties, just like pack animals, we're looking for other people that sound like that. And I would well, be that way. Sense. It's not just women. I'm saying, no, I'm saying men have that too, where I would be in that way. And that would dictate it blows my mind that Val looks like what I wanted and is who I wanted. It's fucking insane. We trip out on that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I happened to meet her at a time when I was feeling that way. I'm not saying she was ovulating, but she was close enough that like sex was in the in the mood, in the yeah. air, that sexuality was in the air. It's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So I understand practically the ones and zeros of it. Online dating is like, well, we don't know if we're gonna feel that way on Friday at that party with Derek. Yeah, but that there's and and I think that the, like your friends at the wedding, there are those. I just think that there's probably a high percentage of people that aren't in the right place to date yet that are on there trying to. That's date. interesting. Yeah, I have a friend Yoni Weinberg who's amazing. He was a writer on Crashing. He's great, and he he's uh, was off online dating. He swore it off in the same way that we're talking about going off porn. He was like, "I'm off it. It's just not helping me," um, because he was always just going on more and more dates. And then he would always tell the best stories. He was like, he got an Uber pool, and because he's not date, he's not on a, he's not letting the computer do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. This works for him. I know online dating works for other people. He would just like strike up a conversation that he wouldn't have done, and then go on a date with this person and have this crazy story. And he was having some swings and misses, like just not matches because they didn't have the data linked up. Yeah, but he was like living like a closer to a Hemingway novel exciting in the moment in the moment Mm -hmm. and i could see it on him i saw a man just like somebody who goes off porn he was in the moment he is in the moment he's like at a party and he's at the party he's not letting the app do it for him he's and i know people that have the apps and still try and do that at parties and people are looking at him like jesus what's what's that guy doing you know and that goes the other direction too like when i was in my most manic drunken People could just see it in me, you know? Mm, mm. It's like the Mark Marin and Bill Burr aspect of it. Like, people see you and they're like, oh, buddy. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Isn't that you weird? Know? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking nuts. Well, this has been great. This you has been good. good. You yeah. feel good? Yeah. I feel really good. I'm so happy to see you. Good to see you, too. I'm glad you're on the up. It's a lot better. I know. Let's not. I'm not saying I, I, I'm going to stop caring or, or checking in, but I'm glad that you're. <laughs> no, and it's nice that you said that you should have called. And also, you know, it's like the death thing. It's like when somebody's going through it. I wish I had. It's hard, but you know what? Sometimes, like a text or even you saying, I wish I had, that's all. Yeah. You know? Unless it wasn't, you know, unless Nick went into that canyon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If fucking, that sucks. So I apologize for that. Into a canyon. Don't go into the canyon. Don't go into the canyon. And for people listening, don't go into that canyon. No. No, because you might, your car. Because of the practical reasons. <laughs> the advice that I got to and I called to say, take me to rehab was, okay, you have your car? Yep. And you're drinking? Yeah. Take your keys, put them on your back tire, and start walking as far away from your car as possible. <laughs> wow. For legal reasons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Get the fuck away from your car. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Sometimes the only way you can get caring is... By breaking the law like that is a type of attention 
Like that mm-hmm. helps me understand. Yeah. It's sort of, I know the movie crash is sort of cheesy, but it's like we get in car crashes just to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like, I bet some people that are spinning out the, the legal aspect is a type of, it's even paternal. It's even like a little bit familial well, to have authority figures be like, well, you have to go to your room. It happens to be a jail cell. Yeah. And then you're going to talk to another dad, this judge. And then you're going <laughs> to talk to, you know, there's all these. Well, it's also too somebody saying like, listen, things are bad. They're going to get worse right now. You're going into rehab. Let's not make it way worse and That's get right. you a DUI on top of this. You haven't killed anybody and you're not planning on driving anymore. So I've done that. Yeah. Just get away. Yeah. Don't flag down a cop and say, Hey, I'm drunk and I've been driving. <laughs> yeah. Take me away. Dude, I love it. This has been really helpful. Yeah, it's really, been good. Really beautiful. Can't wait for uh, the notes we get online about some of the facts that I spewed out. Yeah, is um, Cesar Chavez Mexican? <laughs> Colombian? South American? Chilean. Cesar Chavez? Or you're talking about Che, che Guerrera? Che Guerrera. Yeah. I fucked up. Mm-hmm. See? More notes. Yeah, just to get him right, it's We're getting notes Holmes. in the room. The mute is waiting for you, <laughs> <laughs> or if it's good enough, I mean, follow back, ride the line, you know, see if you can do it. <laughs> Argentinian. A lot of people are going to start shooting their shot. I hope not. Be kind to each other, and I will be nice to people after shows from now on. That, I was a little hard on that kid. I liked it, Nick. If you hadn't, we wouldn't have talked about it, and we yeah. wouldn't have gotten here. It's all in mm-hmm. the game. Don't worry about that. I think you came off great. That's your concern. Nick. Thank you for having me. Would you say keep it crispy? Keep it crispy. (laughs) I'm glad you're here to say keep it crispy, man. Yeah, thank you. Love to you. Thank you. I love you. I love you.